0: Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! Auto Parts.
1: Hello, retro movie lovers. Welcome back to the 1980s movie graveyard. We're so excited this week. We got a cult classic, just the plain classic, actually, I would say. And I got a special Uh, movie gravedigger co-host you know the man you've heard him on this show before you've also heard him on days of future podcast which is a podcast strictly covering the phenomena of the x-men and as always he can always be caught about every two and a half months on if it bleeds we can kill it (laughs) everybody welcome back to the show trev 3k aka my buddy trevor trevor what's going on
0: Oh, not too much goat. Thanks for having me back to dig up this. Uh, you want to, so you just want to call this a stone cold classic, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah, just you know, I was you know, all oh, cult classic for variety. Of reasons. This is a classic. I mean, I think you know, we're we're we're, we're going to talk about the warts and all. Don't get me wrong, but I there's so much in this movie that goes so deliciously wrong that I think it actually me, <laughs> maybe was expi- maybe you know, inspired some of the really big hack filmmakers of today.
0: Well, I will say one thing: rewatching it for the show is that it is. The, it feels like the perfect movie to do here because this is honestly a film that could only happen in the '80s. This oh, okay. this movie just reeks of '80s madness.
1: It it really does, and I mean, we'll we'll, we'll get into it and get into it. So let's just jump into it here because there's this is actually not not a short film, so we might as well just jump into it. And we got a lot of stuff to discuss, and I kind of want to get it rolling here. Um, okay, here's the lowdown on this film. There's three different versions of this movie throughout the years that have been released, either in theaters, uh, international theaters, DVD, whatever, okay? The American theatrical cut of this movie was about 90 minutes and some change. That version doesn't exist anywhere. You could technically probably, what, get an old-ass VHS from the 80s, but for the DVD release... There's the international version, which is two hours and uh, about five minutes long, which is what we're doing. And then there's a the director's cut, which is like what Trevor, closer to uh, maybe two hours, it's 20 like, minutes.
0: Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It's like an additional 15 or so, yeah.
1: Yeah. So if you have the two disc version that came out from Anchor Bay, this is the shorter version of the movie. If you have the version from Warner Brothers, uh, which is what I'm watching the movie on, uh, that's just a one disc. Don't worry, you're you know that this is what you got here, the two hour two hours, four minutes and forty seconds version, aka the international version.
0: And don't worry, either way it's gonna feel like four hours. <laughs>
1: it really will feel like four hours. So uh the versions of this that we have, there's no real like opening studio logos, there's just the credits of the movie. So we literally have this pause at just the one second mark. Um So get your DVD. You know, go through the menu. Basically, hit play. When I say one, two, three, we haven't
0: even said the title of the movie yet.
1: (laughs) We haven't, but come on, it's Supergirl. (laughs) (laughs) It's Supergirl.
0: Welcome to the exciting world of the movies.
1: Smoking is not permitted in this auditorium. It's the law. Please be considerate and don't talk during the show. Enjoy the show Alright everybody, get ready to watch Supergirl. When you hear me say go, hit play. Right, everybody, Supergirl. One, two, three, go. Alright. Here we go. And uh, first of all, while these credits are going on, let's let, you want to explain a little bit who the Salkinds are or the Salkins I'm not sure how you pronounce their names.
0: Well, I got Alexander and Ilya Salkine right uh, kind right. of uh, what are they, Mexican is that there I know I think Ilya was born in Mexico, but I'm not sure where Alexander was originally from.
1: Obviously I have no clue for um, <clears throat> excuse me fans. for some reason if you go to Wikipedia, this is listed as a British film. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I really don't know where they, you know, where they, their whatever lies. But um, just to explain how insane this was, who these people were, these were film producers. They got the um, rights to Superman, which everybody knows is war- owned by Warner Brothers. This would never happen today. No. Never happen with all these, you know, superhero films that are coming out. But these people, they got the rights away. The first couple Superman movies did come out for Warner Brothers. Then they broke off. I think with Superman. Well, actually, after the flop or whatever happened with Superman three, they tried to you know reenergize the franchise with this movie. Which this is a character that technically Warner Brothers owns, but Warner Brothers would not distribute this film, would they?
0: No. Well, I guess from what I understand, when the Salkinds bought the rights to Superman, at, even at that time, they they bought the rights to Supergirl as well. Right. So they were just kind of sitting on it, and then after right. Superman three fell apart, like you said, they were just kind of like, "Well, shit, let's try this instead."
1: Yeah, I mean, like I, I guess technically. This could be like how Sony was holding Spider-Man hostage from yeah. Marvel, but I mean, other than that, you really wouldn't see this day. So yeah, so th- this was actually this was in be- this film, Supergirl, came out in between Superman three and four. They thought this was going to reenergize, and I don't know if they were just going to you know do a Supergirl spinoff series or if they're going to cross more or what but they really thought this was going to be a franchise unto itself and it was also going to you know re-energize the superman brand and unfortunately that didn't happen at all
0: (laughs) no as a matter of fact if you watch this expecting like a film that feels like the superman films these opening credits are about as good as it's going to get for you yeah this is really the only moment that really even feels like the christopher reeve movies
1: yeah which like i don't i mean i'm sure they probably just did this to brand it with, with those uh, christopher reeve films but like yeah like you said i mean even the way they they approach the special effects of supergirl flying is like way different yeah but yeah so basically you know this director's cut that was super fucking long came out some point like within the last 15 years then there was the international version which is what we're watching now and then it's like Columbia TriStar who finally picked the rights up to show this in America, they realized kind of how overly long and plodding this film was. They cut like a half hour out of it.
0: Yeah, and I you know, I have vague memories of seeing this in the theater when I was like 4 years old for some reason, but I kind of wish I could travel back to my 4-year-old brain and remember what that cut is like because certainly this cut is you feel the length of this international cut.
1: E- e- oh yeah, and like I mean I, I'll be straight up, uh, listeners for, um, you know, compared to the other commentaries we've done on the 1980s movie, I'm going to be like a lot more negative on this film, but than other, the other ones we covered, but I just want to make it clear. I don't hate this movie. I liked watching this movie. Mm-hmm. It just, it, 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 I don't know. It just tests your patience. I'll put it that way.
0: It does. It's one of those films that's fun to watch though, because of how ridiculous it is, like maybe right. more so than how we genuinely enjoy some of the other films you've covered here. This is kind of a campy get-together-your-buddies-and-drink-and-watch-it. And right. But there are things to actually like in it. Um, you know, lead, the lead performance being one of them. But there's some other elements that we'll talk about. And then here we go. Like, First of all, though, this is a movie that just don't care in a lot of elements. Yeah. And, I mean, talk about an odd opening, too, where they just, like, throw you right into, like, Argo City here, and they don't explain anything. I, like, uh, you're like, wait, yeah. is this Krypton? When is this, t- is this? Did it not blow up? They never tell you how the city, like survive the destruction of Krypton. They just don't care.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, because you know more about the comic Well, From what I gathered from um, um, Wikipedia, this is like a crystal, like kind of like a space station,
0: right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like anything, there's been multiple you know, retcons of this over and over. Like, at some point, Sargo City is just a city that's been captured by Brainiac and is kind of kept in a little glass jar, you know? But here we have, yeah, it seems to be, like I guess to go with the idea that before the destruction, they were able to kind of seal this this city off in its own little pocket dimension. Because they talk about here, they're not in outer space; they're in inner space. Right. I don't know if this is where Lucas got the Indiana Jones four ideas from, or what.
1: <laughs> yeah, but. yeah, like like let, let's explain this this city for the you know the the folks who are unfortunately are not following along with the which I'm uh,
0: guessing is most of them.
1: Yeah, we, just, I'm guessing because, but this is basically like if people you know. We're like in, you know, like we said, inner space, outer space. There, it, it's a space station, but it's like if people designed the space station to basically look like a big waxy, like honeycomb, and that's what they wanted to live in.
0: <laughs> yeah, and everyone looks really like happy to be in there too. And even yeah. though just, there's, there's much to do, I mean, here we have Peter O'Toole playing with some kind of like dildo or something. But
1: yeah, like like I wanted to kind of point out the chintziness here of these uh, props. Like, Peter O'Toole, like, I'm not even, like, uh, listeners, I'm not even trying to be, like, overly, like, jokey, but this really does look like some wand you would get off at adamandeve.com and, like, stick up (laughs) your ass. (laughs) It really, You know, like, people thought, uh, what's his name, Spacey was, like, stroking those, uh, you know, kryptonite uh, daggers, like, so weird, like, in uh, Superman Returns, but Peter O'Toole, I think, set the stage, like,
0: yeah. Like, I it, love to like Peter O'Toole's outfit. It just looks like he's wearing like a, like some kind of like cardigan sweater or something. You know, it's, this is the, so this is the Krypton wear now, I guess. Yeah, everyone's just dressed so casually.
1: And and this does seem like a different um, society than what we saw Krypton in the movies. Like this almost seems like a utopia compared. You know what I mean?
0: It's really weird too because there's some dialogue that insinuates, and later on, there's more that they can kind of watch Earth because mm-hmm. they know that Kal El has gone on to become Superman on Earth. Right. I mean, they—they. They, I mean, she certainly knows it later. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's like again, there's just there's so much stuff that's not made clear, and I think they just didn't give a damn. They're like, well, our audience is not going to stop and think about this, and maybe they're right at the time. But you know, we're a more critical <laughs> comic book movie watching audience nowadays.
1: Exactly. Speaking of Argo City, like this almost. <laughs> Shades of the Argo, the failed science fiction film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but I, we got to explain this for, because this is batshit insane. And, like, it was even kind of, like, throwing me for a loop watching this the other night. Is we have to, you know, okay, we said Pierre O'Toole has a dildo, which he clearly does. But the dildo is, like, a way to control this kind of glowing metallic tennis ball, which this tennis ball is, like, basically like a tiny nuclear reactor. I mean, Yeah, correct- so the
0: Omega Hedron.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, correct me if I'm getting all this shit wrong, because this is just my impression of it. Now, keep in mind, this um, tennis ball is the power source for this entire city. And they're just fucking around with it like it's a dog toy or something. And, like, basically, Supergirl here... Who, who by the way, like, this isn't, you know, for people kind of not familiar with the, you know, how this character works. This isn't like... Um, you know, like like the X Men, where people are born with superpowers. These people, because of the atmosphere they're in, they don't even know that they're super beings or whatever. It's not until they get to Earth that the Earth Sun like energizes them, right, Trev? Right. So, I mean, at this point, you know, I'm going to keep saying Supergirl, but it's not really Supergirl. It's just basically some ditzy sixteen year old
0: girl. Car- <laughs> yeah, Kara Zor El. Kara Zor Yeah, and she
1: basically like you can make whatever you want. Like, with this dildo and this tennis ball, she makes, like, a plastic uh, giant mosquito.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's buzzing around right now. And in a moment, it's going to, like, bust through the wall of the space station, yeah. which is, like, are you kidding me? You're in space, and your walls are made out of, like, saran wrap? Look how <laughs> easy is, that it was.
1: Literally, <laughs> it literally is saran wrap. And like, like, if you
0: were playing catch in here and someone didn't catch the ball, everyone would die, essentially.
1: Yeah, and, like, basically the tennis ball, like, flew out. You know, it's going to fly through space and eventually make its way to Earth. But, you know, this is this is the, uh, you know, and talk about a blink and you missed it type role here. Um, uh, Supergirl's mom is played by Mia Farrow. Like, why did they even bother to pay Mia Farrow for this role? Like, she's barely in it. She barely says anything.
0: When you, you watch this film and at the beginning you think, oh, they just got Peter O'Toole and Mia Farrow for these kind of brief cameos. But Peter O'Toole at least comes back. Mia Farrow's right. just here for, like you said, no reason. I guess. Well, she probably just needed money to hire more bodyguards to protect her from Frank Sinatra.
1: <laughs> That's true. She figured the most safe place was I got to get it on a film set where there's gonna be hundreds of you know extras, <laughs> you know, big crew, big set. That way, you know, plenty of people around Frank won't be yeah. able to whack me anymore.
0: Yeah, where will they never find me on a set of Supergirl? No one even knows this movie's being made.
1: Yeah, and like I want to bring this up and kind of get your perspective on this trip. But, like, okay, you know, we're watching this movie for about five minutes here. This movie, you know, aside from the ill-fated, whatever, Superman 4, Quest for Peace, like, this movie came after Superman 1, 2, and 3, which, correct me if I'm wrong, that series started in the mid-70s and went through kind of like the mid to late 80s. Mm-hmm. But somehow, is it just me, but photography-wise, this movie actually looks older if not just as old as the very first superman
0: it i'd say it looks the same as the first superman but like you said that's still like it's but, you know but it's like eight
1: years later the yeah first superman.
0: yeah i don't yeah i don't know it's just it's really hot. like you you only know that this is in the same continuity from like the small like, if you kind of know anyways but then it's only the smallest references but otherwise this is just such a different kind of movie I mean, everything we're seeing happening on screen now doesn't feel like it belongs in the universe of the Christopher Reeves Superman movies.
1: No, I mean, I, I mean, well, I mean, you can look at the Reeves franchise and uh, see kind of where it fell apart after Dick Donner wasn't involved anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just looking at kind of what happened with this this film, and the, the, the next Superman film, Quest for Peace, I think it definitely shows that Superman as a film franchise was the Dick Donner show back then. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, uh, well, basically... Peter
0: O'Toole, there's no way Peter O'Toole has an idea what he's talking about.
1: No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, you know what i got to say, though? I mean, obviously, getting Peter O'Toole in this film was a move to try to class it up. And I have to say, like, you know, you didn't really get too much here in this opening scene, but when him and uh, Helen Slater are together later, they have a pretty good chemistry for they a young know, man and a young girl.
0: And that's something I'll say about Peter O'Toole, is that as as drunk as he always was, and right. as little as I'm sure he cared about this movie, he's not the kind of guy who just phones it in. And he, and he is actually doing some pretty decent work in this movie. Yeah. Oh, now we're in 2001 suddenly here. Yeah, but. I
1: want to comment on this because, you know, she feels like it was her responsibility because she made the cellophane mosquito who, who blew out the atmosphere, you know, uh, of uh, Argo City. So she jumps into, like, basically... Like, it looked almost like a swinging... Like, everything about this movie is so swinging 70s, even though it's, like, made in 1983, came out in 1984. That's what I don't get. But uh, she jumps in this, like, lounge seat, like, bubble chair. Like, it transforms into, like, literally a flying bubble. She flies out into space. But outer space looked nothing like... Well, again... Let me correct myself. It's not outer space. It's inner space. But how would you describe that? Like a like a lamp
0: oil. I like, like, she's basically flying through a lava lamp. Is right, kind of right, outputs. right. It, it's just
1: yeah. it's clearly liquid bubbles, like green screened in, you know, blue screened in. It's a very, very strange choice.
0: Very psychedelic, trippy. And,
1: and here, and I have to say, this is the aspect of the film that really threw me for a loop. Is when I will introduced to the main two villainous characters here. A witch played by Faye Dunaway and then her warlock boyfriend, who, I don't know, this is just such such a, you know, Faye Dunaway, even at this time, you know, still a very good looking woman, still probably known as a movie star. Like, I'm not familiar with this actor who plays her kind of sidekick boyfriend, whatever, but are you Uh, fucking kidding me?
0: Peter Cook, he's a pretty, like, famous British actor. Is he? Yeah, he's the uh, the priest who does the wedding in uh, Princess Bride.
1: Oh, okay, okay. But fuck his teeth are so bad, man. And, and,
0: <laughs> well he's British. What do you want?
1: <laughs> but I mean Faye Dunaway's like so glamorous, even in this movie playing a villain.
0: You know what like Peter What he's mostly known for is he him and Dudley Moore were like a big comedy team. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Was he an Arthur at all? Uh
0: I don't know. I know they were like bedazzled together. Mm. Um I'm not sure about uh Arthur, but but they were like a comedy duo in their younger days. But yeah, this is... Uh, so really briefly, though, like you said, so he's like a warlock, she's a witch, they're the main villains of the film. And that's actually sort of interesting because something that never really got brought up into the Superman films, not even still to this day, is in the comics, one of Superman's big weaknesses is he can't deal with magical characters. His powers are kind of nullified by magic. And this is... So here like is the only Superman continuity movie that addresses that somewhat. Right? We have Supergirl, he's taking on a witch and a warlock. Not that they do a lot with it, but hey.
1: And talk about, uh, uh, you know, shit luck, (laughs) the the magic tennis ball, which, you know, has infinite power or whatever, it it landed in not only the picnic here, they're in a park, the picnic of a witch and a warlock, but it landed in their nacho cheese dip. (laughs) It did? (laughs) And, like, the thing that's funny is, like, to clean the nacho cheese dip off, Faye Dunaway goes to the car and, like... And, like, I guess she's kind of using it to fuck with the uh, radio here, but it almost looks like she's holding up to, like, the AC to blow the (laughs) nacho cheese on. You know, obviously, you know, when we do a commentary, we turn the sound down, you know, because there'd be a lot of feedback and shit in the background. So this is my first time watching this uh, film with subtitles on, obviously. And I have to say, it makes a lot more sense now.
0: (laughs) Oh, man, you're lucky, because my version doesn't even have subtitles. Anchor Bay couldn't spring for subtitles. Oh, fucking
1: Anchor Bay. You fucks.
0: Look how bored Supergirl looks now. She's like, "That was fun for a couple minutes, but now this is where it gets okay." Well, it was already weird, but yeah. suddenly she is just has a Supergirl costume. Yeah, like, like not explained at all. Like in the you know in Superman, it was the it was the family you know crest and they kind of wrapped it around as a blanket, but she came in like a white. You know, kind of pajama blouse, and suddenly she just has a Supergirl outfit.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say because I always thought Superman's, um, you know, suit, you know, suit costume or whatever was made out of stuff that was in his, you know, bubble with him as a baby, Mm -hmm. his escape pod. Yeah, she clearly just, just the fact that she's on Earth makes her transform into Supergirl here.
0: It's ridiculous, and again, like all these times where I say that the movie doesn't care, all you need to do is have like one brief moment where they say, "Oh, she made had the pod make that for her because she knows how her cousin dresses, or something." Right. It's not like it was like it would have been tough for them to do it.
1: I mean, you could have because she literally does have magic clothes like that just change whenever she wants to. We'll see it a little bit later. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you could just had done a scene where that white whatever the fuck she was wearing that white tablecloth turned into this. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, for the fans watching this, like, let's describe that her her big entrance here. She literally went through inner space, somehow was in uh, this lake here, and then she literally just flew up out of the water, and then like clumsily landed on the beach.
0: <laughs> I do like the sequence though, and this is where we—I mean, we haven't even really mentioned her yet. But okay, so this is the film debut of Helen Slater. This was meant right. to make her into a big star. Obviously, right. it didn't quite pan out that way. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know they chose her over, you know Brooke Shields. I heard was yeah. you know the other finalist. But I, you know, if as bad as the movie is, Helen Slater makes a great Supergirl.
1: Oh, I, I and agree. I can't.
0: I mean, look how cute she is too. Like, if you don't fall in love with her watching this film, I mean, I remember having a huge crush on her as a kid when this movie was. Oh kind yeah, of like I mean, I
1: oh, saw, saw some wires there when she pushed on. Yeah. The rock. <laughs> but um, I have got to say, when I put this movie in the other night, like up until the sequence where she became Supergirl, I was like, what is this gobbledygook? Like, I mean, I was just like, like I don't get it. I don't get where it's going. And then like she just comes out. She's Supergirl. She, you know, just basically her. Sequence where she's learning to fly, you know, because there's a dying cat outside my door. <laughs> you can hear it. Yeah, that's what it is. But uh, he's dying because he's he's not getting his attention. But um, yeah, like I was just like, what is this movie? It's just I don't I didn't like it was so gobbledygook. And then like this scene, like you can't help but just get you know I don't know wrapped up in it's like infectious fun because like I mean we, we will we'll try not to be. As piggish as me and Corey are when we talk about the hotness of Melissa McCarthy or whatever.
0: Well, which, I'll, I'll gladly talk about how hot Helen Slater yeah, is. Yeah, I mean,
1: especially. there's no way, listeners. You know, if we have female listeners, I apologize, but there's no way we cannot do this movie and in, in constantly comment on the attractiveness of Helen Slater because, I mean, I, I mean, there's lots of good-looking girls in movies now, but I, I still don't think you you see people who look like this on screen.
0: No, yeah, there's just like, I don't know, like you said, like a real homespun gorgeousness to her. But it also, like, translates to the performance. Like, that moment you just said when she kind of clumsily landed, Mm -hmm. one of the first things she does is pick up a rock and crushes it, and then kind of blows it away as dust. Yeah. And you can see, she's so amazed by it, and just like, she kind of giggles and has this, you know, captivated look on her face, and she really brings a cool like, innocence to this part that works for the character a lot.
1: Yeah, like, and that's the thing, it's, you know, I mean, I hate to be whatever about it, but you kind of have to if you're going to be supergirl just like if you're going to be superman you know it it has to be an actor actress that's really attractive in the role to make the you know character uh you know appeal to a wide audience and like i gotta say like it's not just that she was like you know a pretty girl a model or whatever that they threw in the suit like a cosplay type deal like she like it, it really is a combination of her looks her performance and just her like, I like her innocence and her, you know, na- naivete here, just, like, it it, it really works.
0: hmm And she, mean, I mean, she holds her own against, you know, Faye Dunaway and Peter O'Toole, and this is her first movie, you know?
1: Oh, exa- exactly. I mean, not only does she hold her own, but she just, you know, she has great chemistry with these veteran, you know, top-notch actors.
0: Yeah, it's kind of too bad that, I mean, you can see why this movie didn't go on to sequels, but... If she had been given a shot at this character in a better movie, I feel like this could have turned into a franchise and made her a star.
1: Exactly. Just there was, a, you know, I, I mean, I read a lot about the production of this movie, but I didn't really find anything that really explained. I mean, they clearly spent a lot of money. There was a lot of big sets, but I didn't, I didn't really read anything other than maybe they thought they were making it for kids. Like, why? Like this movie seems, story-wise and everything seems very rushed, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's really throwing good so now we're, now we 're getting Well, back.
0: The, the pacing is certainly not rushed <laughs> on no, <end>. no,
1: no. <laughs> oh my gosh i could not I could not even fathom watching that director 's
0: cut we 're going to get to a point where i mean later on i 'm going to talk about like when the actual plot is kicking in, and we got a while to we get to that yeah. this is this this is a a meandering film man. I'll tell ya.
1: Like i 'll tell you like 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 and another thing too is i mean we 'll get to it, but the the fi- the fin- action finale it 's not like this movie slowly builds and builds, and there 's a big finale. It slowly builds and builds, and then the finale's over before you know it, even when it began, really.
0: I like to imagine that this abandoned amusement park that Faye Dunaway lives in is just above the uh, the lair of the Sawyers in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, too.
1: You know, if there's a the way, you know, some of these uh, genius, uh, you know, internet film editors can make a super cut out of that, mm-hmm. that'd actually be a great combination is Supergirl intercut <laughs> with the Sawyers and... TCM too.
0: Now, not again. Not to be crass, but what are we supposed to make of the relationship of Faye Dunaway and the woman who lives with her?
1: Yeah, it's very strange because, like, it's in terms of a, a sidekick or a, you know a helper or whatever. Like, it doesn't really come off like that. Like, I don't know. And they don't really.
0: Come they really off just. History, they really just seem like roommates. You know. Yeah,
1: but it's like, how do you find a roommate to share a abandoned haunted house <laughs> in a deserted theme park? I have to say, like, these scenes, and, like, I saw a lot of people, or not really even people, but just articles and things written about this movie, bitching about the special effects. I have to say, other than, like, some of the weird, like, um, postures and, you know, body poses she has when she's flying and some of the angles, like, I really like these rear projection uh, flying. I do, too.
0: There's, like, an old school feeling to it that I still enjoy.
1: And I have to say, in a lot of ways, too, it, it looks more real to me than uh, kind of the way they do it now. You know what I mean?
0: Well, because you have the actor there. It's like you know, there's yeah. no CGI of the actor. It's a full performance from them.
1: Yeah, and, like, there's a few just very tiny, tiny quick shots where you can tell it's like a doll on strings. But for the most part, like, you know, it's not like now where, um, you know, there's a literally a CGI stunt. But it's an actor, you know, in the mm-hmm. in the shot. Okay, we have to comment on this big time. This was, was like, I was like, okay, this is clearly in the 80s. And this is a theme that shockingly, even, the, you know, I never intended it to, is coming up a lot on this podcast, Trev. And that's the subject of rape in mainstream films.
0: <laughs> attempted rape, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Like, by the way, like, okay, first of all, let's talk about who one of the attempted rapists is. Oh,
1: yeah, we, we got to talk about <laughs> it. So for, for people not listening, you know, a lot of times I don't do scene by scene, but this we have to do some play by play. This is basically the first time she's landed in the city. And this is basically her first contact with human beings. And who mm-hmm. pulls up in this fucking, you know, uh, you know big rig here? Matt Frewer, a.k.a. Max Hedrum. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then <laughs> uh, some guy who reminds you of, like, the third-rate Randy Quaid. But the first <laughs> thing they do, they pull up, they see this girl in a super, you know, what they probably think is a Superman costume. And they neatly go to okay, like you know, let, let's start raping her. And I say this is this is indecent. Like the the Randy Quaid looking fuck is like looking up, literally lifting her, her her cape and her skirt up, and he's smoking a cigarette. Keep in mind this is a children's film.
0: <laughs> I know, that's the crazy part about this. And there's even like there's some dialogue here that you could just look at as cheesy dialogue, but it's actually really kind of dark. And so when she says, "Why are you doing this?" and after right. her says, "Like it's just the way we are." It's exactly. like, oh, what kind of bizarre commentary is that for a kid's movie?
1: It's, it, it, like, seriously, it, it is so menacing, this scene. And by the way, j- just as a footnote, I want to, because you kind of go like, well, that's a... should
0: sure, did JJ, J.J. Abrams direct this part? Look at those lens flares. Oh,
1: there's so many lens flares. But I just want to make a note to listeners that Matt Frewer, the attempted rapist, is wearing an A&W root beer shirt.
0: Yeah, do you think A&W is excited about that product placement?
1: Yeah, because later on, there's a clear shot of an A&W uh, root beer like vending machine. So they clearly paid to have this Like... <laughs> One producer says, okay, we got money from the root beer people. Let's have a rapist wear a fucking... And by the way, the, the other rapist is wearing an STP shirt. There's a, a prominent shot of an STP gas station later. So both of these... By the way, listeners, both of these rapists are corporately sponsored to be in this movie.
0: <laughs> they just said the moment where... So the one rapist pulled a knife on her and she used her heat vision to heat it up. And they even animated like little like heat waves coming off of the knife. Mm-hmm. Oof, that was bad. She kicked the guy and he flew back it, like, so slow.
1: I know. Like, at least when she threw Matt Frewer, there was it seemed like a little more force on it.
0: Yeah. Now they're, like, now they're using the attempted rapist as, like, comedy beats.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Now they're like, geez, that rape didn't go well. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, that's another thing you would never see in a movie aimed at youngsters or just not rated R uh, because of, you know current ratings rules and stuff. There's a lot of people just casually smoking in this film. I mean, just such a different time, you know?
0: Here we have what I can only assume is going to turn into some weird orgy with all these yeah. magic people at Faye Dunaway's Haunted House. And now, this, this was, is a scene that I read was cut either down or completely cut out of the theatrical cut, and I I can understand why. This is just, who cares?
1: Yeah, and, like, I understand the director was French, which I don't really get that either. But, um... I mean, do you think it was, you know... Because when you watch European films, even to this day, they they do have their own pace, their own whatever. But, I mean, do you think all this, you know, witch-coven bullshit here, do you think this, like, was what the director was really going for? Because... I'll be honest with you. There's probably more witch coven bullshit in this movie than there is Kryptonian superpower type shit.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's why this film just seems confused a lot as to what it wants to be, because it's really just trying to be a. It's some kind of bizarre fantasy comedy, and like you just said, the Supergirl elements are very uh, are very slight in this. Yeah. It's like they found the right actress for the part. They found the right you know uh, costume and everything. It looks great, but then they plopped her into a film that the character does not belong in at all. And they gave us a MacGuffin of this Omega Hedron, which well, I don't know. We'll talk about that more later. Yeah,
1: the Omega Hedron really is uh, tesseract worthy. I'll say as far as yeah. just being a fucking MacGuffin-y, MacGuffin, McGuffin third. Well, it's like
0: even they realized how boring it was, so they kind of instead changed the <clears throat> the main gist of the rivalry between the two of them into something else that I want to talk about later. But yeah. but here we just got this like bizarre. It's like I'm watching like, like a 70s British comedy with this warlock trying to pick up this ditzy girl at a party and his jealous ex using magic to put a scorpion in her drink i mean what the hell
1: yeah like you can tell they try to ugly this this woman up with these weird lips glasses and stuff but you can tell she's you know clearly out of this guy's league but i guess if you're getting faye dunaway you can pick up young floozies as well
0: by the way the soft focus on faye dunaway in this film is kind of out of control too
1: it is but it makes her look good i'm not gonna lie
0: I don't think Fade Dunaway needs soft focus to look good, though. That's the thing.
1: Well, yeah, especially at this time period, she probably really didn't.
0: By the way, we should talk about who this director is, that because uh, they they tried to get uh, Richard Lester to come back and do this right. one. And he was kind of like, nah, no thanks. I, I've been <laughs> yeah. there, done that. And they've ended up picking uh, Jeanette Zwarzak. I, I'm, yeah. maybe that's how you say it. But uh, yeah, known, I believe you. That is it... known mostly for Jaws two, right? Um, and then he would go on after this to all, for also for the Salt Kind's direct to the classic. Santa Claus the movie with Dudley Moore.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I kind of feel like uh, Jaws 2, after seeing his ladder work, Sforzok's ladder work, I kind of feel like Jaws 2 was probably a movie made in the editing room by the, by the executives at Universal.
0: <laughs> Just a small moment like that, Supergirl waking up next to a bunny, are the parts where you're like, oh, this feels like a Supergirl movie.
1: Yeah, if you cut all this witchy bullshit out or trim it way back to where it needs to be, um, which, by the way, I mean, all this witch coven bullshit. I have to say, like, the first time I was watching this movie, like, it really took me a long time to really understand that Uh, Faye Dunaway was a witch. I just thought she was, like, some evil, like, female Lex Luthor type that was just... Mm-hmm you know, stumbled upon this macguffin power source and was going to exploit it. I thought all her powers and shit were coming from the MacGuffin. I didn't realize it was a combination of her already having, you know, evil powers.
0: Now, this is weird. This is the scene that you mentioned earlier, and I actually want to ask you about this, because I don't know if this is, like, a debate or anything, but you said that the way you take it is she has clothes that, like, magically change. Right. But I kind of take, but her hair changes from blonde to brown. Right. I don't know if what we're seeing is, like, shape-shifting or... Again, you yes. know, the, the one thing about these the Salkind Superman films is as much as I like the first few, and, and I will say, I, I honestly believe the Salkinds have a better handle of what the Superman character represents than, say, Michael Bay, or uh, not Michael Bay, uh, Zack Snyder does. But that being said, they never qu- quite got the powers right. They give him some, like, weird made-up power in each movie. Yeah. And even in the first Superman film, there is a scene where he jumps out of the window in a suit, and the suit just changes into the Superman costume. Yeah. And we kind of just saw that happen here, where she just, her not only did her costume, her clothes just change and a backpack magically appeared, and her hair changed brown, so that she could go incognito as a human.
1: Well, i got to say, I, I don't know if the hair-changing color thing is from the comic book or not, but I, I found that just, I mean, especially when you got somebody like Helen Slater, like, why do that? And they could have easily have had her, I mean, this is, this is at a, you know, she stumbled onto a, you know, a girl's prep school, I guess is probably what it is, mm-hmm. like the Facts of Life or something and um you could have easily had her like go into a laundry room and steal some clothes and you know well, that's
0: a, that's what i mean it's just like you could have easily given an explanation for where she got the superman costume from but i don't know it's just like there's all these things you could easily fix and they were just like yeah whatever just move along
1: like she's got she got superpowers all right like she got powers she can fly she can shoot laser beams all right she can make some fucking clothes all right just get over <laughs> it <laughs>
0: there's okay so there's this scene here where she's kind of you know introducing herself to the dean and he's you know she's trying to pose as a new student and he's clearly you know he's like well i've never heard of you and then he leaves for just a couple seconds and she goes over to his typewriter super fast writes a letter of recommendation from clark kent right but i mean she's from argo city how would she even know what a typewriter is how would she know what a letter of recommendation is you know it's just like how, how,
1: how would she know what our english language is to be able to yeah. you know, compose a letter or whatever
0: this is some convenient bullshit too is the warlock guy just happens to be a teacher at this school.
1: See this is the this is I'll be honest uh, graveyard listeners. I I'm not someone who really gets easily confused at, in films at all but this this film i was constantly i was like is this movie just this sloppy and shitty or did i miss something because when the warlock guy showed up i was like what the fuck is he doing here now because this is just a random girls prep school that she wandered into to you know kind of have you know some cover or whatever you know what i mean Mm -hmm. which 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 this i'll be honest like this story could have easily been constructed in a much tighter way where like I think she could have been Supergirl the whole time.
0: Yeah, I just want to say, I don't even understand the reason why she needs to take cover and pose as human, because all it is is a distraction to her yeah. for looking for the the tennis ball, you know?
1: Because, like, the way this movie is presented to us, I wouldn't even say it comes across as an origin story where, like, this is the story of how Supergirl came to Earth to start living. Like, I wouldn't understand if it was set up in a way where she had to come live here and needed to establish a cover identity and all that, mm-hmm. but... It's kind of like she's just on one single solo adventure and you know
0: well it's like they, it's the, you can tell the film just wanted to give her a human identity because that's what the superman movies had so they want to copy that right but oh there's the a and w machine yeah.
1: That, that's what i mean like when i saw that i was like well that's weird a rapist is wearing a root beer t-shirt but then when I, saw the way, that, I, was, I was like they paid to have that rapist i DNA. love the male
0: The male Dean just, like, walks into this women's, like, dormitory where they're all half naked. Just, he doesn't even care. Look at that. Just striding in.
1: And they're all running out, like, 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 he's the rapist. You know what I mean? Like, they're running out, like, oh, God, he's going to see us. And, like, he clearly, it's it's not even, like, he turns away, like, okay, girls, get dressed or whatever. He just, he marches in here, like, he does this on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Okay, now we're really going to head to Coincidence City. Uh, can you explain, Trevor, a little bit who Supergirl's roommate is going to be here? <laughs> well,
0: her roommate, in fact, turns out to be Lucy Lane, the younger sister of Lois Lane. Yep, quite the quite the quinky dink.
1: Yeah. Which, which, apparently, if you think about the timeline of everything, and Margot Kidder and, you know, her age in the Superman series at this point in time, clearly uh, Lucy Lane... Uh, was uh, what do you call it? Was clearly conceived about twenty years after, <laughs> it, it maybe thirty years after uh, Lois was. Yeah, this is really weird here, and this is really awkward too. Um, this this kind of weird. I don't know what you call it. Uh, conversation, this banter in between. Um, you know, uh, Supergirl's like trying to make up her fake name here, or trying to get it out, or miss lee and miss lane and I, just, I was like why would you make the fake name so similar to lucy lane's name it, it's just it's weird or maybe that's the whole reason why they got stuck in the same dorm and i don't get it
0: well there's like there's a kind of a recurring thing in superman where all, a lot of the female characters have double l's so i mean there's lois lane lana lang that's lucy true. lane linda lee here
1: was Lana, was Lana supposed to ever be, like, the cousin or something to Lois Lane?
0: No, Lana Lang was always his Smallville girlfriend.
1: That's what I thought, but somehow I thought they connected those up, too. I guess I'm just confused.
0: Why does she have a... Where, the, where is this movie supposed to be taking place? Because she has a Tennessee pennant hanging. I was
1: going to ask you, because there's some shit where somebody looks at, um... Excuse me. So somebody looks at, like, a map and you see, like, Chicago. Like, you see all real cities... I was going to ask you if you knew about this. Like, I thought DC Comics had all fake cities like Metropolis and Gotham and shit. Like,
0: DC is weird because DC has all the fake cities, but the real cities also exist.
1: Okay, that's because there was
0: definitely there was a there was a period in the '80s uh, where the Justice League were actually located in Detroit. Wow! So they do have they will reference Chicago and New York, but they also have Metropolis and Gotham and Star City. And, hey, here we have Christopher Reeve's big cameo. Uh, a poster.
1: Yeah, and I gotta say, like. You can say what you want about the movies, and I don't know how modern artists feel about it. But holy shit, man! And maybe it's just the age I'm at, but like, he was just the—he was Superman to me. He still, oh, is. He's,
0: yeah, he's still Superman to me too.
1: Yeah,
0: it's really like a shame. I know uh, they asked him to be in this film, just do do a small cameo, and he really was kind of done with it at this point. And it really is too bad. I mean, goat. I, I guess I'd ask you, how much more do you think this film would be legitimized if he had made some kind of appearance in this? Do you think? That alone would have made this, like... I mean, I don't think it would have been a much bigger hit. But do you think it would be a little bit more regarded as part of the series today, if he was in it, at least?
1: I think so, because, you know, like we said, like, the distribution path of this is, like, really weird. Because Warner Brothers didn't even put it out. Now Warner Brothers, um... Like, the DVD I have, Warner Brothers did finally put out on a DVD. But it was only, like, around the time that they did, like, a Superman box set, and they kind of... Yeah, they
0: wouldn't put it in there.
1: Yeah, they just wanted to have it around at the same time. But, um... I think also they didn't want to acknowledge how terrible it was. Which, by the way, I'm not saying it's terrible. I mean, I think this movie has a lot of warts, has a lot of flaws. But, like, I mean, you can't watch this movie with all its damn problems. You can't watch this movie and still not want a Supergirl 2 with Helen Slater. I mean... Right. And
0: you also, you can't act like this is, say, like worse than Superman 4. You know, no. this is the most embarrassing the series got.
1: And, you know, like it's kind of funny that you know and by the way like i really like uh brandon routh i really like uh uh henry what's his name cavill? cavill
0: cavill henry
1: cavill i really like those guys and i even just as actors and i really like him as superman but there was something about christopher reeve and then helen slater were like these movies well i think the first superman was pretty good and the second one was you know had its moments too but like these movies honestly they weren't they weren't very good movies, but you you as a, a viewer, you were held by Superman and Supergirl, how good they were.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now we really got to talk. He was in the background on one scene. Now we got to talk about there is a five-minute damn scene in this movie where uh, Brenda Vaccaro and Faye Dunaway just drool and drool and literally almost finger bang themselves while watching a shirtless <laughs> Hart Bachner uh, paint a tree or saw a tree whatever the hell he was doing it. People don't know Hart Bochner, uh, I know him from the um, pseudo-sequel to uh, Fast Times, uh, uh, the, the Wildlife, with uh, Chris Penn and Eric Stoltz, where he plays a cop who's banging a high school, or the Elmas High School, Leah Thompson. But the rest of the world will know Hart Bochner as who, Trevor?
0: They will know him as Ellis from Die Hard.
1: Hans, baby, let's do some coke. Shoot me in the head.
0: Here we have, so here we have, those of you who only know Ellis, just think, imagine Ellis as a romantic lead in a film. And that's what we have here.
1: Ellis as a romantic lead in a film, he doesn't quite have the cokehead beard, but he does have a really thick stubble. And people go, well, you know, he was young. He was, Keep in mind, this is only four years before Die Hard. So it's yeah. pretty much the same guy being the love interest, a and as sh- you
0: said, like every woman who sees him is oh just like, god. "Oh my god!"
1: Yeah. Which, which I mean, by the way, the guy was an actor. He had a good little run in the '80s. He wasn't a bad-looking guy, but I mean, I mean, I don't know. Like it's for the way that they, this film is literally written, just to be like, you know, oh man, like oh, every woman wants him. I, I don't know. He actually says shit in this movie. Here, Lucy Lane said, "Oh shit!" when the the teacher called the matter. That's kind of mm-hmm. interesting.
0: Interesting. Another interesting fact about Hart Bachner, Did you know that he directed PCU and High School High?
1: That you know what? I actually, I, actually, I didn't know about uh, High School High, but I, I, now that you said that, I did know about PCU. I really liked the guy. I don't, I don't know what the fuck happened to him. Why his acting career wasn't better? Why his directing career wasn't better? The guy was talented. It's just in this movie, he's just woefully miscast.
0: I mean, if Helen Slater doesn't have a shot at becoming a star after this, I guess Hart Bogner is not going to fare much better.
1: No, he isn't. I've got to look up Hart Bogner because I don't want to speak out of school here, but I want to say the man's deceased now. Is he? Uh, let me let me hit the IMDB.
0: No, not according to Wikipedia.
1: Okay, I am wrong. I'm thinking of somebody mm-hmm. else. He's, like he's
0: still working.
1: Yeah, he's 59 years old. And just to give you an update of how he aged, his most recent picture on uh, IMDb, I'm going to say almost, you know, modern day, almost a dead ringer for Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah, he's got an untitled Warren Beatty project that uh, was well, completed, but it'll be coming out in 2016.
0: I like how on Wikipedia it says they had, he had a cameo in the 2013 Carrie remake. But then it says uncredited, like yeah. that. Usually, uncredited is like when you get a big star. Do they think people are watching Carrie? And be like, oh my god, they got Hart Bachner for this.
1: Yeah, like I'm, I'm looking at his filmography and like, like that uncredited role, like you said. I would say that, um, I would say, well, he he he's uncredited in a bunch of Warren Beatty shit, I mean, uncredited. Mm-hmm. So I think he's just kind of. You know, I don't know what his, like, quote-unquote day job is or if he even needs a day job, but um, I'm going to say that uh, he's probably just working now when he gets a call from his friends who are like, oh, we're doing this thing, Hart, why don't you come down here? That kind of seems like where he's at. But if you watch Supergirl, holy shit, you thought this guy was (laughs) poised poised for starter. I mean, I want to say a good analogy is they treat him like the way... In this movie, they treat him like the way Kevin Costner was treated in movies at the time. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. We're getting into some, like Porky's bullshit going on in the screen here. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm glad you called that out because this is a you know this is a clean film. I, I believe the rating's PG. There's like a lot of shower room shit and hijinks here, and Supergirl sh- shooting beans through the walls and all this bullshit and shower scenes, and of course no nudity. So I gotta nope. beg. Why are we adding to this torturously long-running time with very clean, nudity-free bullshit yeah. scenes like this?
0: I mean, at this point, we are 42 minutes into this film, yeah. and we still... Like, the, the main character has not met the villain. There's really no conflict between the two of them yet at this Uh-oh. point. Uh, the The villain hasn't even really figured out what the Omega Hedron can do or what it is. It's really, This movie is just kind of like bullshitting at this point.
1: Like, Like... I would say, and granted, you know, we don't have access to the shorter American cut or American theatrical cut. But um, this, you know, even the shit with Supergirl, you know, trying to fit in at a, you know, American earth uh, prep school, that's okay. But when it cuts to the long orgy scenes, <laughs> <fade> <laughs> away, that's the shit that should have gone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Lucy says she's got a guy coming up from Metropolis, and he knows your cousin Clark. So, like, kind of what you're saying, with they should have got Christopher Reed to like come and do a, um, mm-hmm. you know, a cameo. Well, they couldn't get him, but they got the next best thing, didn't they?
0: <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Olsen himself. That's
1: right. And Jimmy Mark- Olsen in these movies, he's played by a nerd.
0: Yeah, Mark McClure is the only Superman actor who appears in this film as well. So he's the he's the tie to the continuity. Yeah. Now we go to. I want to ask you this point because part of the reason we chose to do this film is because right now there's a Supergirl TV show that's just started. It's doing quite well. Have you had a chance to see it yet? Or
1: I have not, and I I get a full disclosure. I have tapped out on TV not because anything's bad, but just because in the modern Hulu whatever like like I I can't keep up with weekly shows. I pretty much have to at this point wait for them to get on Netflix. I I okay. I, I you know I've gave up. I saw like the first two episodes of Gotham. This season, and then the third one I missed because Hulu deleted it or whatever. So Mm -hmm. I've currently got no other than Walking Dead. I should say, other than that, um, I've got no TV shows going on right now.
0: Okay, because you know I'm sure you've heard a little bit about. uh, First of all, the show is really good. It's It's obviously a much it's a much better version of Supergirl than this movie. Obviously, you know Uh, Melissa Benoist to play Supergirl is great. I thought it was actually really cool as they have uh, Helen Slater as her adoptive mother on Earth and oh. Dean Kane is her adoptive father. I thought oh, that was a nice, nice little nod. yeah.
1: Nice. Yeah. No, but uh, I I just saw a still of Helen Slater doing her cameo or whatever. But I didn't know. Yeah. It was like a real character.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, but I you know they they're never going to have Superman on the show, you know, they've been pretty open about that. But the way around it is they she does talk about him a lot, you know, she's like yeah. you, they have a relationship, he's texted her, you've seen them have text conversations. You've seen him in silhouette at times. He did save her in one, in one episode, but she was kind of passing out, so she saw like a hazy image of him. Right. And you know, I'm sure it's going to get annoying after a couple of seasons, but at least they're acknowledging him. And in this, we have her in this film, she just kind of shows up and tells people oh, I'm Clark Kent's cousin, but there's no indication ever given that he even knows she's on Earth. So, I mean, yeah, like, the not being able to get Christopher Reeve to agree to it, I think did kind of put a damper on, on yeah. what the film could have had with for, for that opportunity.
1: I, I, yeah, I think one publicity shot released at the time, like a lobby card or something, of him and her standing together in the, in the suits, I, th- I think probably, like, would have really helped sell this film big time. Yeah. No, no, let me ask you something, because Christopher, I mean, like, the suits that they wear, it's not like, let's be honest, it's not like the shit, like, you know, Chris Hemsworth gets to wear now. Not that he's not in great shape or whatever, but, like, Christopher, he, he had to be in top, top, top amazing shape back then. Do you think he just didn't want to get into that type of shape for, like, a five-minute cameo for this film? Maybe that's what it was.
0: I really just think he, I, he if you kind of... Go back and read about Christopher Reeve. He kind of had a love-hate relationship with that character. I think right away he felt kind of trapped by it and stereotyped, and or stereotyped, uh, you know, uh, or sort of typecast. typecast that's what was yeah. For. yeah. And then uh, you know, Superman three didn't turn out the way anyone wanted it to. I think, yeah. and so I just think I- I'm sure he felt like there was no point to come back just for a little cameo. They would have had to throw a lot of money at him. I bet. and This is obviously not an expensive film, so yeah. you need that money to pay Hart Bachner. You know, that was it.
1: I have to say, I think uh, I think they they dumped a lot of money into this movie, uh, into the sets, and that was about it. Because mm-hmm. because I mean, and I have to say, I never really trust um, like modern day Wikipedia budget numbers for old ass movies, but I think this is listed as having a pretty damn good budget. Uh,
0: Thirty five million, I guess that's yeah. not bad.
1: That's actually awesome for that. I, I, I clearly think that's uh, that's inflated. I would say this is probably half half that, but still. It's, you know, well, well let's the,
0: hope so because it only made fourteen point three million. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. So Hart Wagner gets called over to do some, which I, I thought he was a gardener, but he's getting called over to do some handiwork inside the uh, yeah. Haunted well, by house. the way,
0: though, he's walking around this haunted house. He's got the toothpick in his mouth. He's really kind of channeling Alice here, though.
1: Yeah, he really is. He's laying down the foundation, which by the way, that movie I was talking about, he was in, uh, which actually would have been like right before this, the wildlife, or maybe it would have been right after it. would have been like really close to this. He plays a, like a, a police officer who just kind of goes around and bangs like girls who work in donut shops and shit. He's really channeling Ellis in that, in that too. <laughs> Oh, we have to point this out big time.
0: Schlitz malt liquor.
1: Yeah, all the smoking, all the you know unpolitically. Well, I guess political correctness didn't even exist back then, but yeah, she offers him a cold drink. You think, oh, it's going to be some iced tea? It's fucking Schlitz malt liquor, <laughs> and she acts like she's going to drink it too. Fake, don't know going to drink Schlitz malt liquor. Now, <laughs> Schlitz malt liquor had to pay for this, right? Oh, I would imagine. It, it, okay, now 1983, 1984, whatever product placement. A&W had enough money to get a rapist to wear a shirt that had their logo. A&W <laughs> had the money to get a vending machine in the background at the girls' school. But apparently A&W didn't have enough money to get uh, Hart, Bachner and Faye Dunaway to
0: drink. You know, and look at fair. this. She's holding it so you can see the logo. Oh, so yeah, there, there's yeah, like, yeah. This isn't...
1: And not only that, but that hero shot of when she put her poison spell shit into it. I mean, that was like... I mean, imagine watching this movie... Back in the day, you know, before they had Cracker Jack movie, you know, shopping mall movie theaters, people were probably watching this damn thing on 50-foot high screens, drive-in screens. I mean, that, that mall liquor was huge on the screen.
0: Okay, I I want to talk now here about the other central plot of this film because it's kicking in here. Yeah. now. In a day and age where you know, Goat, and we've seen it play out a lot in the last couple of years, a lot of controversy about, you know, not enough female superheroes. Mm. And when they feel, you know finally do get made, there's a big push to, let's make sure we have a female director. Let's right. make sure these are strong characters. Now, besides the Omega Hedron plot... What this movie is really about at the end of the day is two women fighting over a guy.
1: Yeah, it's very sexist. It's very
0: sexist. And I mean, so what we see here is Faye Dunaway has become obsessed with this handyman character played by Hart Bachner. And she decides to cast kind of a love spell on him where she put this stuff into his schlitz. And now he's passed out. When he wakes up, the first woman he sees he's going to be hopelessly in love with. And she plans for it to be her. But things go awry and he ends up waking up and seeing Supergirl first. And first of all, is it me or couldn't you just make it where he sees Supergirl and falls in love with her? Why do you need to bring the love potion thing in?
1: Yeah. I mean, wouldn't any, it. wouldn't
0: any guy see Supergirl and, and fall for her? Like, I don't understand why we need to, this idea that he's only in love with her because he's been, you know, tricked into it.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're sitting here 30 years later and we, and we're in love with Supergirl. Why can't he be, you know? Yeah.
0: But then, but yeah, so then the movie really becomes, I mean, the Omega Hedron kind of becomes secondary to the idea that Faye Dunaway is mad at Supergirl because she took her man away. Yeah, and holy shit, that's not the kind of story you would allow to <laughs> no, be no. the Supergirl movie nowadays.
1: Like I said, this is a very different time. Um, a lot of cocaine being done in the film industry back then. A lot of uh, sexism being, you know, practiced. I would say. I mean, just 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 the concept that Supergirl would get nearly raped in a film. I mean, that's just that's batshit crazy. Yeah, this is a night. I, I, I'll be honest. I wouldn't mind living in this haunted house because like it has like the tracks and shit everywhere. Like where the little car. Yeah, you can ride.
0: Yeah, you can ride the little train around. There was just a great yeah. moment earlier where Faye Dunaway was kind of making a spell, and Brenda Vaccaro rode a little choo-choo train by.
1: Yeah. But the thing is, it's also like a legit house or apartment too, because there was like a full, true kitchen in there.
0: Mm-hmm. And there's a bedroom. And... Yeah,
1: I mean, just it's so bizarre.
0: I do enjoy You know what? I, I'm a sucker for a haunted house in a movie.
1: I am too. And I got to say, just the campiness of having a witch villain live in a haunted house, you probably would never see that in a movie today, especially in a you know, big budget superhero movie. But like, I kind of think that kind of weirdness and goofiness is kind of what we're missing in some of these like self-important comic yeah. book films now.
0: Now, I want to ask you, I, I was reading some trivia about this, as I'm sure you were over the last couple of days. And yeah. It did say that, you know, the, the critical reception of this was super negative. And I yeah. you know, I somewhat get it, but it's it talked about how both Peter O'Toole and Faye Dunaway were nominated for Razzies for Worst Actor Yo, and Worst Actress. But yeah. I mean I don't, Faye I don't Dun, what, Faye Dunaway is just having a blast in this movie. Like this is what I this is like um, it reminds me of people who say Uma Thurman is bad in Batman Robin. Oh, but there's a there's a difference between being bad and just embracing camp. And I mean, sometimes the best actors are the ones who understand like camp works in a film like this and And Faye Dunaway is going very over the top, very big, but she's awesome.
1: And like the thing about, the thing about it is too, is like, I have seen like shitty movies, like lower budgeted movies, like, especially like in the wake, I would say in the late eighties of like, you know, uh, where what they call scenery chewing became really popular, especially for villains and action movies and stuff there is a shitty way to overact and chew scenery. And, like, Faye is doing it actually pretty damn good in this movie.
0: Well, Faye Dunaway, I mean, you've seen Mommy Dearest, I'm sure. Faye oh, Dunaway man. knows knows how to overact. You know, yeah. she's 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 a, a pro at it. If Mom- you want to talk about bad acting, look at Hart Bachner try to stag around <laughs> yeah. and act like he's <laughs> blinded or drunk or whatever.
1: Oh, yeah, he, it's, it's so fucked up, the way he acts in this scene. But, yeah, like, uh, talking about Mommy Dearest, like, that movie was on cable all the time when I was a kid. I would see bits and pieces of it, saw it all the way through a couple times. And I had I had no idea who the movie was about. And, like, mm. like it, it just fucked with me so much. Like, didn't really scare me, but I was just, like... Like, that was, like... You know how, like, people, like, look at, like, a gory-ass movie, like, Hostel, and they think Eli Roth is, like, a... A real life murderer crazy person like whatever like i just i was like you know as a kid i was like why would somebody make a movie about this it's just about some lady who beats her daughter like who like who gets off on it and you know i didn't realize it was fascinating to people because who who the movie was based on and all that i just thought like like literally to me mommy dearest was my first like venture into the torture porn horror genre.
0: (laughs) do you have mommy dearest on dvd
1: no, I don't, but I would be happy happy to track down a copy or do
0: something. Oh, I'll tell you and I'll tell you something about that DVD that'll make you want to get it even more because I don't have it, but I i flirted with getting it so many times. It has audio commentary by John Waters.
1: Holy shit, really?
0: Yeah, cuz it's like his favorite film, so I wow. like I I've, I've come close to buying it on numerous occasions just because I really want to listen to that commentary.
1: At the very least, yeah, I'd be willing to give it a rental and do a commentary for it
0: this scene goes on for so long this hart wandering around and
1: well not only that but um by the way that was a great little effect where you had a stunt person with their head down flying a Supergirl, and then helen slater pops out as a schoolgirl on the other end of the you know
0: oh uh, yeah like the, the metal tubing or whatever yeah, yeah.
1: all right now we, <laughs> we have to talk about the scene here which I, I like i'm not even bullshit i'm not doing a shtick here trevor I think this scene, he saw it as a kid, this is what inspired Zack Snyder to get involved in the Superman franchise. Because what was the number one, you know, bitch and whatever about Man of Steel? It was that Sears, it was that Waffle House. Well, this movie takes a Popeye's chicken (laughs) sponsorship to a whole new level, wouldn't you say?
0: Oh my God, these people love Popeye's Chicken. We get numerous shots of the Popeye's Chicken signage. Uh, This whole scene's playing out in a Popeye's Chicken. By the way, there's a guy in Popeye's Chicken right now just with his shirt open, like bare torso. But yeah, we're seeing the chicken and Biscuit sign in the back. And now, and you've seen, I know you've seen because you posted too, and I've posted on my Instagram before. Some of the promotional images for this film were Supergirl standing in front of a Popeye's Chicken sign. Yeah. So they... Clearly they paid the most.
1: And even the, like, the little sign on the Popeye's chicken sign, like, where you could take the plastic letters and spell shit out, it says, love that chicken, (laughs) in those shots.
0: I'm surprised I haven't found a photo yet with Supergirl holding, like, a drumstick.
1: Well, exactly. And the thing thing is, it's crazy, is um, when Jimmy Olsen was, like, bringing the tray of shit to the kids at the table... He he was like, who's got the onion rings? Who's got the fries? Who got the chicken strip? Who like, they were literally like working in a way to name off all the <laughs> shit that you could order at Popeye's Chicken back then. That's why I wonder if when this movie came out, like when you went to Popeye's Chicken, if they had like the little clingy posters like on the windows and shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Imagine what if you had like a good pristine one of those? How much that shit would be worth?
0: Maybe you've got a Popeye's chicken and like Happy Meal with A&W. you got a little toy of Matt Frewer, the rapist.
1: Yeah. And it's all told shit. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Um, uh, also, too, I want to point out that small town that they're in, Midville, and always, like, clearly this is kind of, like, a fake street, because they bash into, like, a lot of these buildings here, but did you notice how, like, during those shots, Justin and Trev, like, there were so many, like, actual billboards for shit in the background, and I've never seen a small town be so filled with billboards. No. And it was, here like, we have a... tampons and shit, too.
0: Here we have another crossover, Expanded Universe, we get Supergirl versus Killdozer.
1: Yeah, maximum overdrive a little bit.
0: So Faye Dunaway has brought a uh you know like a bulldozer to life,
1: yeah with magic mm-hmm and is driving around chomping its uh claw trying to get Hart Bachner. which is like was she i mean she's gonna scoop him up here in a second, but like was like was she trying to just like cut him in half or yeah
0: but how by the way, how has he not seen a girl yet at this point i mean there's there are there, like certain
1: g- women on the street, yeah. I think they just got around it because all the people were on the sidewalk, so they hit him just walked down the middle of the street like a dummy. By the way, did you notice, Trev, like, obviously this is, like, a bit of, you know, production, budget, whatever, like, when the killdozer kills this car right here. Did you notice how flat as fuck the tires were, like, when it was rolling up uh, the, the parked car? The tires were so flat, that was obviously a shitty junk car that they got to do that with. <laughs> This fucking this street, man. It's so busy with commerce. Now, did you see that? Was okay when that car that swerved to get out of the way that killed swerved into like a women's dress shop. I couldn't tell when I watched it other night. Was that a fucking person that got plowed over, or was that like just like a, a window store mannequin? Yeah, I
0: don't know. I wondered that too because I wasn't sure if. I mean, I'm sure it was a mannequin, but I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be a person
1: because it looked like the arms like flailed up when it flew in there, and I couldn't tell. Well, maybe that was just like the mannequin flying back, or it was like person be like, "Oh no, shit!" Oh, like, but it it looks really bad. Like it looks like a you know a killer stunt gone wrong.
0: <laughs> God, Hartbachner is just.
1: Now he's crawling like a baby down the street. And it's the bulldozer. finally scoops him up.
0: This is just so, like, it's so long. It's, I mean, and this is like the big, this is Supergirl's introduction to, like, humans, you know? Like, yeah, where, yeah. her first kind of big moment of heroism. And it's just her kind of taking on a runaway bulldozer.
1: Well, not only, not only that, that, but... That's like,
0: quite as exciting as the plane, or, I mean, the helicopter and Superman or, you know, yeah. the plane Superman Returns.
1: Again, again, with the product placement, there's a kid with an STP shirt. Like He's the, probably the
0: son of that one guy. Of the
1: rapist, yeah. And then there's an STP uh, gas station that gets taken out here in a minute. But th- it was kind of like, I don't know, it was really quick. But did you see that Like all the kids in the Popeyes were marveling over that one grease ball's, like tiny little tattoos on his arm? <laughs> and like, Supergirl was like, wow. And, and Lucy was like, what's the matter? Haven't you ever seen a tattoo before? Like, what a weird thing to put in. Even a wedding is going to get destroyed by this, this witch-powered bulldozer here.
0: There's a lot going on in this small town in this day. Hail,
1: hail, hail bays flying everywhere. Fucking taxi cabs with ads on top of them. There's, I'm not kidding. I don't think there's like one square inch of this fucking podunk town that's not filled with a billboard. I mean, maybe the budget was $35 million for this movie and they just got like extra money to snort up their nose from all these fucking sponsorships.
0: What exactly just knocked Lucy Lane out? Like, just some kind of... I don't know. That was bizarre.
1: Yeah, it was It was like the bulldozer took a tight turn and she, I guess she just, like, from getting rattled around... <laughs> How
0: tight of a turn like, can this thing take? <laughs> yeah.
1: It's almost like a Benny Hill skit at this point. Like, a big rubber tire rolling around loose and all this shit. By the way, I, you know... I'm guessing it's some type of rotoscoping mat, whatever. But I liked it. I mean, it's only used a few times, but I like the uh, visual effect of when Supergirl goes into super speed mode.
0: Yeah, it's fun looking. When she runs.
1: Now we have a burning pile of tires. <laughs> and the Supergirl's going to fly up after going into the women's restroom to chain. She's going to fly up. She's going to stand on top of the Popeyes, and there's going to be a, sh- a literally a shot... From Behind her, looking through her legs and down the street, you can see a stay free maxi pad uh billboard in the background. That was strange.
0: We're gonna, I need to uh, we'll have to screen grab the moment where she flies up and there's like three Popeye signs. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to throw that on the uh, the movie graveyard page. <laughs>
1: we, we, we will, yeah. And that was the one shot where you could tell it was a dummy that kind of like flew through the model of the water tower. Mm -hmm. But it still was a cool thing that just Supergirl could just fly through a water tower like that. Oh, thank God those rubber tires got burned out. I I was afraid they were going to completely go up. And they they wouldn't be able to sell the rubber tires. Now, because she's flying around the hay bales that I mentioned earlier, they flew in the street. and Now everybody's blinded by the, the the loose hay flying around. They don't even know what they're seeing, right?
0: I'm sure the thinking was like, let's have this film play out in a small town because the Superman films are Metropolis, and that'll right. kind of you know kind of make it different. But I don't know. It, it's kind of the same complaint people had about the, the first Thor film, mm-hmm. where you put it in like a small town like that, and it just makes the stakes seem so small. Right. To a certain degree. It's not... I don't know. This doesn't... Like you just said earlier, where this doesn't really feel like any kind of exciting Supergirl origin story because yeah. it's not like she does a lot of... She doesn't interact with people a lot.
1: No, there, there's um, not a lot. I mean, her character does, I guess you could argue, has an arc, kind of, just because she's interacting yeah. with the humans for the first time, but it don't really go we don't, anywhere. We don't,
0: and we don't get to see like, humanity or the world react to her. You right. know, and be like, oh my god, there's a female Superman around. We don't really get that. And you said, I guess... It, it's it, there's an interesting idea that they don't play with a lot, and you mentioned earlier, but it's it's even kind of glossed over that when the rapists see her. Mm-hmm. At this point, if you if you saw Supergirl, you probably would just think like, well, Superman's been around for a few years. Yeah, there yeah. probably are people who just wear Superman costumes. You know, you'd think it's like yeah, cosplay aspect, yeah, yeah, yeah. Costume, but nobody even ever says anything like that to her, which I think they could have done for at least comedy bits or something.
1: Yeah, Hart Bogner's really got his Ellis seven o'clock shadow going on
0: here. Oh, that's right! I forgot that he fall. He actually falls in love with uh, Linda Lee, the human. That, that's right, yeah. The the human identity of Supergirl.
1: Yeah, he doesn't give a fuck actually about Supergirl because she, her magic clothes and her magic hair change back real quick.
0: Hmm.
1: Old Faye's got some dramatic lighting on her face there, don't she?
0: Oh yeah, Jeanette Zwarzak knows what he's doing.
1: Yeah. Oh, Hart almost uh hit his head on the fork
0: so <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> the uh for people not playing along, Supergirl saved uh Hart Bogner by ripping off the claw thing of the killdozer and uh then flying and there were some good wires uh being shown for are yeah, so like
0: They're gelling up the lens as if it's like a flashback there for yeah, some reason.
1: It's weird. Lucy finally woke up in the killdozer and sees uh You know, her friend making out with Hart Bachner, which, by the way, this has got to be like a statutory rape type situation right here, right? (laughs) I mean, he's like the gardener of the school, clearly got a 28-year-old man's 7 o'clock shadow beard going on, and he's kissing a 15-year-old girl.
0: That's that's how Hart Bachner rolls, man.
1: Well, also, isn't Jimmy Olsen doing some statutory raping right here, too?
0: Well, but isn't it, like, Lucy has a crush on him. I'm not sure he cares that much. Yeah.
1: Okay, I gotcha.
0: Although, interestingly enough, Jimmy Olsen and Lucy Lane are a couple in the Supergirl TV show. Although there we have, like, a sexy, you know, buff, black Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. And Lucy Lane is played by Channing Tatum's wife.
1: Okay. (laughs) Jenna Dewoo and Tatum. Yeah. Yeah. But to be, okay, to be fair, though, Jimmy Olsen, they said earlier... He drove down or drove up, I don't know what direction. He drove all the way to that in town from Metropolis just to hang out with Lucy Lane. So, that I mean, that does sound like some Chris Hansen type shit right
0: there. That's true. You got me there. Although, maybe it's the thing where he's like, yeah, Lucy, I'll totally come visit you. Where do you live again? Oh, a school full of women. Like, yeah, you know, Jimmy knows what he's doing.
1: A school of women that I could all go to jail for having a relationship <laughs> with.
0: I'm sure they'll be impressed by my bow tie and giant camera.
1: Yeah. And I gotta say too, you're gonna have to help me out a little bit more here, being more familiar with this film. Like I start really getting uh, lost with the witch hooey that's going on here, <laughs> like this uh, this statue that keeps growing, and uh, the incantations, the, the twenty minute scenes of inca- witch incantations. I was gonna say,
0: well, I mean, you you how do you what kind of help do you need for me? It's like you you think I understand what's happening here? <laughs>
1: yeah, it's like a little statue. Or, I, don't know, I don't know what it is, like a seashell or something. She keeps the magic ball in. And, and, and I'm guessing, I mean, obviously she's doing some witchcraft, but I'm guessing this magic ball helps her in her witchcraft to open up kind of portals to other worlds and shit and mm-hmm. let creatures through and whatnot.
0: Is this where she's summoning, like, the shadow creature, or is that a little later?
1: I think this is, like, the beginning of it here.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think... Oh, yeah, because it's... but Yeah, just walk through the wall. Okay.
1: Yeah. And, like, I was really lost watching this the other night. Like, watching it for a second time, shit starting to head up a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, we were talking about kind of how dull this movie is and how long it takes to... I don't even say how long it takes to set up. It just... It keeps plotting. This... There was a... And, obviously, this isn't a kid's film. There's attempted rapes. Everybody's smoking cigarettes nonstop. Weird orgy-type situations about to break out all the time. Statutory rapes. But, like... I kind of, looking back at some of the films from this time period, I mean, obviously you have films like Goonies, Back to the Future, which would just entertain the hell out of any kid and whatever. But then you kind of do have, you ever see movies like this, Trev, that, like, you watch them as an adult and you're like, okay, this is kind of cool and interesting for me now, but, like, who would ever expect a six, seven-year-old kid to sit still in a fucking movie theater for two hours watching such a, you know, a nothing movie with hardly anything going on, you know?
0: Like Star Wars Episode One and Two.
1: Exactly, <laughs> but uh okay. There was the house mother of the dorm drinking in the background. More not kid-friendly shit.
0: Oh, this is, I like this though. We got a lot of miniature work going on, which I'm always into.
1: Yeah, it is cool miniature work um, of just um,
0: like some. It's like an invisible creature that uh, Faye Dunaway has sent. After Supergirl, Um, so we basically like a a giant. It's like a kaiju, essentially, but invisible. That's kind of like yeah. I was
1: gonna say I was hoping Bird would join us because I (laughs) I wanted to get his thought on. uh, Like I was gonna have him actually rape this kaiju since he's a kaiju (laughs) expert, Uh, and I'm curious what he would have come up with because this is a kaiju that you literally cannot see whatsoever.
0: But we see like there's some cool miniature work of it stomping through the countryside. Now this is cool. Like see again, this is where I do kind of fall in love with Supergirl. You know, she that's her first kiss. She's yeah. never experienced a kiss before, and she keeps kind of reliving it. And doesn't You can tell she doesn't even really know what a kiss is, but she just knows she liked it. Yeah. But, I mean, the innocence, again, of Helen Slater here, it works really well.
1: It does. I mean, I mean, obviously, and there would probably be another one, you know, probably you and me will do a commentary for down the line. But she would kind of follow this up with the legend of Billie Jean, and it's just like, man, like, so much talent for a young actress and, mm-hmm. you know. I mean I mean I get you know I guess she had a better career than ninety nine point nine percent of most actresses who start out or whatever but
0: yeah but not as good as one as she should have
1: exactly such a shame give getting, getting back to that episode one and two dig though Trevor is is uh, star Wars and I don't you know and we even see it now you know we're recording this uh you know probably three or four weeks before Episode seven comes out, but I think this will post like the week of. But uh, I feel like, and I and it's it's true if you look at the Fandango demographic, whatever pre sale numbers. Apparently, Star Wars is mostly consumed right now by men ages like thirty two to fifty or whatever, and and like I don't know, like I think even I think even Jar Jar Binks back in the day was probably most looked at. <laughs> <laughs> judge by men in their thirties and forties like i don't know like i don't i don't I don't think Star Wars is really for kids anymore in a weird way, like do you
0: well, I just think you know kids aren't the ones who are going to be out buying tickets and and generating any kind of talk and hype online i think that's part of it i think you and i see mostly adults talking about it. now I, I work in a bookstore we have star wars toys star wars displays and i'll tell you kids do like star wars like they come in but and and, and i will acknowledge like for uh, for a lot of kids they're younger than like way younger than we are their knowledge of star wars is really based around clone wars and stuff like that you know they're into like the rebels show now yeah but they, but, say, they, I, but I mean it's it. different because like they've they i guess it's somewhat true for you and i because we're about you know we're close to an age but Kids even more so have just been born into a world where Star Wars is a thing. You know, it was never like just kind of growing. Everyone just knows Star Wars. So, you know, they're four years old and five years old and they already have Yoda dolls and know about Darth Vader. So, yeah, I think they like it. But I think adults are just the ones who keep the conversation going the most because they're the ones who can't ever let go of their childhood and want to keep talking about it online. Yeah, I mean... Which, I, 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 which I'm guilty of, you know.
1: Oh, of course. yeah, I'm guilty of it nonstop. But, I mean, like, I, I feel like... Um, I feel like, you know, you can say whatever you want about the guy and his creative decisions in recent times. But, you know, the smartest thing George Lucas ever did... And, it, 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 and I truly believe it, it helped make these new Star Wars movies, was keeping Star Wars alive after the prequels and the reaction the prequels got. He was trying to, like, A, win the fans back with those cartoons like Clone Wars, and B, he was trying to, you know, keep it alive for the next generation so it wouldn't just be old farts going on, you know, from that mm-hmm. point on. I think, I think, you know, say what you want about his, like I said, his creative decisions, but when you talk about franchise management... George Lucas was a damn genius.
0: Well, that's why, I mean, now that we want this episode to just turn into a huge Star Wars discussion, but that's why I was surprised to hear you say before that you really thought Star Wars might just kind of die with Lucas. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like there's no way that even Lucas thought that was the case. I think from the moment he started franchising it, he he turned Star Wars into a beast. And there was no doubt that it was going to live on beyond him and keep growing and growing and i don't know that anyone really thought that episode 3 was the last star wars movie you know
1: oh, i did i did for the longest time and i thought it was cuz he had such a death grip on it like i thought he wouldn't and like i could see that he was kind of trying to rehab the image and the the brand name with stuff like clone wars but uh i mean him, him passing it on to Disney, from what I understand, was, like, a really, really hard decision for him to come to, and I think it was, like, letting your baby go, but at the same time realizing, like, you have to, because you can't ever do it again, like, mm-hmm. I, you know, despite what he says, I think Lucas, if his shit would have gone smoother with, uh, episode one through three... I think he would eventually got the itch and done another, you know what I mean? Like, maybe because of his age now and his health, he wouldn't have been as hands-on as he was at the people's. but...
0: I guess, I mean, but yeah, I mean, maybe, but I guess this is where you and I will just always disagree, is that there's a part of me that thinks it's exciting to see it now move on to the people who grew up with it and are right. fans of it, and not just have one guy do all of it. Like, I, I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, I, I like, I don't know, there's a, I just recently wanted, I was thinking of writing this, like, uh, essay about this idea that, you know, characters like dracula and frankenstein and the the wolfman like they're kind of in public domain right so we get multiple iterations of them but then characters like freddy jason and michael myers there's a stranglehold on them from the right. company that owns them and that means we never they can never be kind of, kind of become the legends that other characters do because you don't get multiple versions of them in different stories and i think a big thing that makes characters legends and lets mythology grow is the fact that they go on past the original creators you know batman didn't stop when bill finger and bob kane were done Superman outlived Siegel and Schuster, you know, so Star Wars, I feel like, should outlive Lucas, and other people should get a crack at adding on to that mythology.
1: It's just, it's just with Lucas, um, I don't know, with Lucas, it was so that he had such a stranglehold on it, and it was so, and like, I understand there was a lot of creatively, there was a lot of stuff from the original trilogy that didn't come from George Lucas, came from his collaborators and whatnot, but like, I just, you know... (laughs) I can buy into the fact of Star Wars living on without him, but I just always thought it was going to be like, um, like he would be, he would, he would kind of let it go, but he still would be like the elder shepherd of it. The idea of him just getting cut out of it completely, either by choice or by that's the way the business deal had to go down or just Mm -hmm. whatever happened, that's what I'm just weird in. Like, I mean, we won't go on too much about this because there's a lot of exciting Supergirl stuff going on here. Like, she just fought an invisible monster that was basically just her getting thrown around by the wind (laughs) but uh but yeah like it it seems very foreign to me like like totally just you know having this one guy who was always the poster boy for this thing and known as the creator and he's still around and he's not exactly feeble I wouldn't say like by health standards or whatever Mm -hmm. and just him because I mean like they even, I don't know, like I saw a video the other day with Vanity Fair or somebody where they had him ask questions to JJ and just yeah. like, it's, it, it's it's very weird and it, it seems like he is bitter, like, it not necessarily that the rights were pried out of his hands, but I think he thought he was going to be more involved in the fact that he's
0: not Maybe, I mean, all, I maybe and that's maybe a shame, but at the same time, I, I don't know, it felt like Star Wars was such an albatross around his neck for a long time that... Yeah. Hopefully he can just enjoy being free of that pressure now and maybe he can finally make these small films he's been talking about for 15 years now that we've still not seen any movement on. <laughs>
1: he still said in that video the other day, I don't know if you saw that, Manny, but he still, when they're asking him questions, he did like a little interview too. And, like, he said, he, you know, it's fine. He's letting it go. He's an experimental filmmaker, and he's going to get back to making experimental films. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. (laughs) I've been hearing that for a while, so. (laughs) I've been
1: hearing that since 2005, so. Guillermo
0: del Toro must be producing all those experimental films for him.
1: (laughs) He must. He must. I mean, I guess we can kind of make excuse for Star Wars Talk, considering this podcast will be coming out at the apex of the hype of Star Wars Episode Seven, but you know the final the final what i'll say about it and my attitude of like how like you know you're surprised why i have that way it just it's hard to see especially other than michael bay probably the least creative guy in hollywood now be heralded as the creative mastermind behind a new star wars film and also to see like just everything brought back wholesale but painted a different color that's going to be, I, you know You know, I I don't want to keep going on being a fool judging a film I haven't seen, but that's going to have to be a pretty damn good movie with a pretty damn good story to justify like how much of the shit they just wholesale lifted from the last. But but I mean, I, I
0: get what you're saying, but at the same time, I think there's something to be said. You know, I don't have a problem with this with nostalgia glasses when done the right way. You know, and it is a lot of it is just kind of trying to bring back the iconography and what we liked about the original Star Wars films as opposed to you know, what Star Wars became over time. right? And I mean, the thing, my thing with J.J. Abrams is it's not so necessarily that I think he's like this, the best creative genius in Hollywood. It's that I think he's the right guy to do the first new Star Wars movie because he will just kind of trade in on an iconography and kind of bring it back to a status quo that we're familiar with. And I mean, I think sometimes you've you've kind of really called it J.J. Star Wars, but I think it kind of bothers me, and I, you know, I don't know if you agree, but I feel like that's really undercutting the fact that it's it's really Kathleen Kennedy's Star Wars at this point. She's the one kind of spearheading all of it, and I mean, he's even JJ J. Abrams is kind of handing it over to the other filmmakers after this. You know, obviously, there's gonna they're gonna be trading off some of the story ideas he came up with, but I, I think it's kind of cool that we have a woman like producer, one of the best producers around. I think we'd all agree, who gets to kind of like like kind of be in charge of the Empire now and and turn it into something else. And at least they're doing something with it. I mean, whether it was because of the reaction of the prequels or anything, Lucas was just kind of letting the live-action aspect of it sit there, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree 100% with what you just said about Kathleen Kennedy. But you have to admit, at least to us, the fans, the public, it's not presented that way. It's J.J., everything. To the point where he literally gives one-on-one interviews almost every single day to some news outlet just to let little tidbits of the story or character points go out. Like they are really acting like Star Wars is a singular vision with him, the way it was with Lucas, which I don't see how that could even possibly be because it is such a, you know, I mean, shit, look at, look at everybody who's taken over. Ryan Johnson, you know, Gareth Edwards doing the spin off. It's, it's, I, I, I guess they just needed a poster boy, somebody who was in good graces with nerds at the time, Mm -hmm. you know, to kind of push out there. But I just don't, you know, to me, aside from maybe George Lucas, obviously, to me, Star Wars is just such a big thing. It can't be contained by just one person. It can't be put in somebody's pocket to be, you know, piecemeal dished out to the fans. Like, the build-up to this film is the most disappointing aspect to it to me. I'm like, I don't know. like, Like, I feel like even Lucas with the prequels, I feel like he dished enough out to, as a fan, keep you, you know... Excited, And this is just like, it's a big secret. Just give us uh, See, I
0: don't know. I like, See, I like that. I feel like they're doing... I actually feel like they're promoting this the right way. I, I like the idea of, you know, doing it where you're not giving us everything. And you're showing us just... I mean, because at the end of the day, it's Star Wars. We're all going to see it. It's not like they need to tell me the whole plot in every trailer. I do, unlike you, I actually like the idea of sitting in the theater and not knowing much about it.
1: Yeah, but... It, Here, here, here's where I'm getting kind of crusty about that was for me personally. And I mean, you might have different, like whatever, but that JJ approach didn't work for me with Cloverfield, didn't work for me with super eight, didn't work for me with Star Trek in the darkness. Like not that, not that I just really, other than super eight, like I kind of like those other movies, but like his secret game shit is so obnoxious and it doesn't really to me it doesn't enhance the film that's what i'll say
0: i don't think it enhances it, but i think there's something to be said for going to sit in a theater and not know what you're about to see like every single part of it you know
1: well i mean i, would, I mean what
0: do you, i mean i just uh, actually have a like i uh, was looking at it right now the new entertain weekly has a little article about the new film midnight special from jeff nichols who did uh, take shelter in mud mm. And they said in here that he wants the he's trying to keep this movie kind of a mystery too. And he said uh, it's part of a Spielbergian effort to shroud Midnight Special in a veil of secrecy, similar to the great movies of his youth. And he says, "Close Encounters of the Third Kind, ET, Starman, they were my inspirations. Very propulsive journeys that work when you can't predict what's going to happen next. So it is that I think there's still like I think J. J. is trying yeah. to bring back this idea of that in an age where, let's face it, nowadays movies come out and we know every single element of them." And that kind of sucks. I think I mean, no, I know no, you don't I care. mean,
1: I, I agree with that sentiment. I just feel like right now we're talking about the one film franchise that you can't really just box up and do that with, you know what I mean? It just I don't know. It's 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 left me very like like for what everybody's talking about on on Facebook for me hating it for that. It's not really hate as much as like I'm pretty much disappointed that I'm not excited about a Star Wars movie because they haven't given me anything to be excited about. I mean, I've seen a few, you know, makeup things and a few, you know, shots and trailers, but it's like, I don't know. Like, when at least going into the prequels, like, Phantom Menace, you knew this was going to be about Darth Vader as a little boy. Attack of the Clones, you knew you were getting the Clone Wars. Revenge of the Sith, you knew you were getting uh Anakin turning into Vader like I don't think those are huge like nasty spoilers that ruin the film but like you know I, I like knowing something so I can be excited like I don't want all the plot points spoiled either but I like knowing something to be like okay th- this is going to happen oh shit I can't wait to see this Now it's to the point where like see, see John Boyega see Ridley Daisy or whatever like it's like okay but like who the fuck are they who like it's just I don't know too much too much M. Night Shyamalan in my Star Wars for me, and I'll leave it to that. Time. So getting back to Supergirl. We Star Wars talked through her fighting the invisible monster where, where Supergirl got thrown into the A&W machine. She then tracked down uh, Faye Dunaway. Uh, well, actually, she was trying to have a date with Hart Bachner in the deserted theme park, which made no sense. Then Faye Dunaway came out, and there was like this... Huge battle over bumper cars, which, shockingly, like, licensing wasn't what it was now. Like, they were in a bumper car thing where every... All the bumper cars were actually football players' helmets of NFL teams. I found that yeah. very bizarre.
0: Well, right now, because, like, she's actually carrying Hart Bachner in a bumper car that is, what is it, the Patriots and the Rams?
1: Yeah, yeah Patriots and the L.A. Rams.
0: Yeah, and, and, uh, yeah, that, that's, you know, that's, that's actually weird. this... That whole sequence with the bumper cars, where Faye Dunaway makes the bumper cars come to life and they kind of terrorize Hart Bachner, that's the <laughs> sequence I actually have a memory of. As mm. like a, you know, like when I, I'm, I get, I must have been four when I saw this, but I, <laughs> I love Hart Bochner getting hit in the head with the rock there and just collapsing. But, but I have a memory of seeing that scene as a kid. And I think I actually found it kind of scary as a kid because they were like the way it was shot. You know, it had like a maximum overdrive kind of feel where the bumper cars have faces on them because they're football players, and it's actually done a pretty. You know, for, in a childish, terrorizing right. way.
1: You know. it, it, lots of sped up footage in that sequence.
0: <laughs> yeah. I do also want to say, though, I, I clocked it because we were talking Star Wars, but that's the moment where, I, like, so at that, because uh, Supergirl's little Fitbit on her wrist goes off, telling her that right. the Omega Run is around. And that's when she finally goes and realizes that Faye Dunaway has it. That's an hour and ten minutes into the movie. So an hour and ten minutes in is when we finally have the hero. The conflict. The conflict began of the film. Yeah. That's not that's not good.
1: (laughs) And like just to like you know, lend an extra air of like people fucking around on this film, like all these scenes where Faye Dunaway is like, you know, this is kinda expositional, I guess, in a very slow and plotting way, but all these scenes where Faye Dunaway is spitting exposition and whatever shit her sidekick, uh, Brenda McCarter, just sitting here just smoking, chain-smoking her way through these scenes. I mean, it looks like she was just like... You know, somebody they pulled on the set just to sit here and just so Faye Dunaway would have somebody to talk to.
0: Yeah, that's what she's clearly just there so Faye Dunaway can give exposition. But I'm sure also, do you think they were like, well, Brenda Vaccaro will be the Ned Beatty of this? Because Lex Luthor had Ned Beatty. But I mean, Brenda Vaccaro is not Ned Beatty. You know, she's just, she's not very entertaining. Well,
1: that's what I'm saying. Like, Ned Beatty, like, he had so much. I mean, there was a performance there, there was mannerism Mm -hmm. there. Brenda Vaccaro just sitting there chain smoking and just like, yep, yep, tell him, Faye tell him yeah tell him like it's just it, it really like i don't know like her character and the way it's handled it really makes this film have an air of laziness about it
0: and here's where our movie really like our, our film is just slowed down now to show supergirl fawning over the boy she likes I, yeah yeah and when she was he was uh unconscious in the uh bumper car she was flying like taking him to the beach and she's like rubbing her face against his shoulder like, she's a kitten, you know, that's, yeah. <laughs> with its owner. It's it's so... <laughs> Come on, guys.
1: And, and by the way, like, um, I mean, he was, like, laying it on thick romance-wise when he was in, in love with Linda Lee or whatever her fake name is. But, like, he never really did anything to her. To, like, he was never endearing. He was never really that, like, romantic. He was never really that likable with her. He just was kind of like a hornball just like... Pulling out some peppy Le Pew fake romance shit.
0: Mm-hmm. No, she can just like she can watch them wherever they are at all times with this little yeah. magic mirror of hers or whatever.
1: The witchcraft mirror.
0: There was a moment earlier I forgot to point out where Supergirl used her X-ray vision to look through the wall mm-hmm. when uh, when Faye Dunaway like was her car was driving up, mm-hmm. but then like the camera like moved with the car. But through right. the static wall, like it was again. They just <laughs> didn't give a shit. They
1: didn't. It's a magic power. Use it however you want.
0: I do really like. This is a great. I, I think Helen Slater's performance here is great. When he starts asking her questions about her power, and there's a moment where he says, "Like, can you bend steel?" And she kind of like deepens her voice and acts like a man for a moment, and says yes. And it's just a little fun. Little. It's a little fun moment that it might have just been improv or whatever. But again, it's for her first film. I mean, there's just a natural performance that I really like with her in this.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, like, with this director and, like, what I don't understand really what was going on. Like, you have so many things that are mishandled in this film. But Mm -hmm. then you have a couple, like, awesome performances, which I would think if the director was just flat-out horrible, like, he wouldn't allow these actual good performances in. So, like, you know, I wonder, like was there a battle with the producers? Well,
0: like, yeah, cuz I don't think he's a I don't think he's a horrible director. I mean, no. like you said it might have been built and editing, but I think Jaws 2 is a decent film. You know, it's a, Yeah, it's not bad. for bad. It is. By the way, you, now that Hart Buckner is shaved, I'm totally seeing the Michael Bay aspect yeah. of him. Yeah.
1: Well, especially now when he's older, like they like him and Bay have very similar hair. Like it's weird. I'm starting to believe Hart Bachner is Michael Bay because he directed those, those, you know, PCU and all that shit. Yeah. Like, you know, like, like maybe he just had to create this dumb persona to get his directing career going, you know?
0: I guess that's the one thing It's like, the one thing I can say about the Supergirl character is she hasn't been mangled yet in terms of like Helen Slater is really good. Melissa Benoist is doing a great job of it on the Supergirl show now. she Her performance is actually really reminiscent of Helen Slater. I think she's doing the same kind of bubbly, innocent take on it. And yeah. then, uh, and they had, like, a kind of a more cool version of her on Smallville, played by, uh, I think, Laura Vandervoot or something, is how oh. you say it. But I even liked that version. So at least, uh, I don't know, at least that character hasn't been treated too poorly in cinema and on that, TV. That
1: was probably the super haughty version of Supergirl, right? It was, yeah. Yeah.
0: Although to me Helen Slater is still the super hot version. Oh of
1: no, I, I agree. But Laura Vandervoort, like, you like every role she's in, like, like they treat her. She's like the female heart boxer. <laughs> like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with her. She's a good looking uh, yeah. actress, but it just the, she's always written into roles where she's like overly, uh, I wouldn't say sexualized, but you know, overly glamorized. Man, did you
0: ever watch Smallville? Goat? No, I, I,
1: I, aside from just catching like occasional episodes here and there, like I never watched it. Watched it.
0: It's a show that probably went a little too long. It had ten seasons, but yeah. I'll tell you what, like Tom Welling, I don't think gets enough credit for. I really do think he's one of the best Clark Kents, and and you know he never got to play Superman proper, right? But I think if he had been given that, uh, he might have been you know second to me after Christopher Reeve because he's really good in that perform in that role. Yeah, he has this like kind of genuine earnestness to him too that worked really well.
1: I have to say there's a lot of shows because there's a lot of shows during a time period where, like, small villain shit, where I just really wasn't watching TV. I mean, for a lot of different reasons. Like, the DVR shit didn't really exist. Netflix didn't really exist yet. And, like, I, there's tons of shows I want to go back and discover, but it's just, like the time and you know new shit that's coming out and movies and sports it's really hard to you know and i'm not a binge watcher by any mean i've been watching the first episode of arrow for like two years now so but i would like to you know i I always like tom welling and the little film parts there was some great uh jump cutting of hart bachner there wouldn't you say like disappearing and just popping up in the lair and like yeah
0: and the in chains in the witch's bed, yes. Yeah,
1: which kind of begs the question, if uh, Faye Dunaway could have done that at any time, why did she let him like tumble around and be in that killdozer and all that? Mm. Now, Nigel, the warlock, he gets his comeuppance here in a nice jump-cut fashion, doesn't he?
0: <laughs> I guess.
1: He gets turned into an old man. They turn an the old man into an even older man. That's his comeuppance for it being an evil character.
0: But it's like an old man in terms of like what an old man looks like when a 40 year old plays an old man in like a Benny Hill skit. Right.
1: And somehow old men, uh, like fake old men with makeup, they always have, um, uh, lipstick on, which I don't get. Okay. Okay. Now, like, I mean, we, you know, we're kind of joking with Zack Snyder being, you know, whatever inspired by that Popeye scene, but this scene where Faye Dunaway's, uh, castle or whatever grows up out of the ground, doesn't that eerily seem like the plot of uh, Brian Singer's Superman film, where Lex Luthor was using the kryptonite or whatever to make all those giant uh, crater boulder? Well, he things? was trying
0: to make like a new continent, right, for right. real estate purposes. She's right. just plopping like a mountain down to basically rule over. But that's like talk about small stakes. Like she wants to rule this small little town that looks like it consists of two streets. Yeah. You know, doesn't she? Couldn't she set her sets her sights a little higher than this?
1: But just the visual of it to me looks exactly like that uh, Brian Singer film, kind of with those—I don't know what you would call them—those big stalactite things that grew up out of the ocean.
0: Oh God, she doesn't it feel like this should be the climax of the film?
1: It does. It does. But
0: we've still got like <laughs> like an hour to go.
1: Well, well, not only do we still have an hour to go, but it's like we should have been at this point forty minutes ago, probably. Yeah.
0: I mean, we have the the hero flying into the villain's lair on top of a mountain, and you think like, "Oh, here comes the final battle!" But nope, there's whole, there's still a whole trip to the Phantom Zone to get through. By the way, Satan just made an appearance in this. Yeah, th-
1: there's actually a statue of Satan because this is Dark Witchcraft. Which I don't think, if you made a Supergirl film now, targeted it at like young girls, young kids, you know, um, I don't think you could get away with Satan being a uh, element of that, <laughs> like whatsoever. Michael Bay, I mean, Hart Bachner, he's tied up in a giant fireplace now. A lot of uh, bondage sub-themes going on. (laughs) Yeah, this is the part where, um, uh, this is a callback to Superman 2, right? Yes, indeed. With uh, Faye Dunaway. I, I don't know what the name of that thing is, like how in the Superman films you can play somebody... In a, like a cell of like flat glass and make them like flip away like a playing card
0: I like I think it is just it's like a it's like a fragment of the phantom zone or something that's right. kind of how I take it I don't know how she knows about it though
1: yeah like I, that was really I mean when this happened when I was watching this Saturday night like I cle- like I instantly recognized it from Superman 2, and it is a cool effect, even you know kind of recycled here, but like I totally did not understand how Faye Dunaway really knew about this Kryptonian shit and how to manifest it and how to do whatever, you know?
0: And again, like, we see, like, Supergirl should be really bothered here that the villain has her hands on the Omega Hedron, that she's, you know, going to make it to the Earth, but she's really upset that her boyfriend is kissing her as she gets sent away to the Phantom Zone.
1: Which, which, by the way, zombie kissing uh, Mm -hmm. Faye Dunaway, it's not like he's, you know, turned evil or anything.
0: Now, this just also made it look like the Phantom Zone is another planet, because the the glass piece that she was in flew up out of the Earth, and we see it go through space and kind of come to a planet and shatter, and she comes out of it. But, no, the Phantom Zone is when you're inside that glass. Right. But, oh, well, again, you know, what do I know?
1: Yeah, the Phantom Zone is supposed to be like a, a portable version of hell, right?
0: Basically, yeah.
1: Yeah, here she just bashed herself against all these rocks because she jumped up in the air trying to fly, not realizing she only has the power to fly, like, on Earth or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And she tries to squeeze the rock again here, calling back to her earlier in the film, but uh, it just cuts her hand all up.
0: Now, this would have been a cool moment if you could have done, like, a crossover here, although I guess it wouldn't have worked timeline-wise, but if she yeah. could have encountered, like, Zod or Ursa in here. Something, you know. Yeah.
1: Cause it is such a, I'm trying to think of a modern day analogy to like whatever, but it, but it, it, it almost be like if you made a Robin movie and then like, like, a you know, like, uh, a, a villain, like wanted to blow up a barge exactly the same way the Joker <laughs> wanted to do in Dark Knight. Like, you know what I mean? Like. Yeah. It's just like, you're just basically just stealing such a huge element out of something that was in a previous film and just recycling it.
0: But look at just a moment ago with her covered in dirt and screaming to the heavens. I I want to reach through the TV and kind of console Helen Slater. I want to give her a hug.
1: Yeah. I mean, just, you feel bad for like everything she goes through. And like, I mean, like I enjoyed this movie up to this point, like especially every time she was Supergirl, but most of the Supergirl sequences were like really fleeting but, you know, from that point on, when, um, Faye Dunaway made that giant, like, mountain castle, and then this happened, like, this is where I finally, the other night, started feeling like, okay, now we're finally in a, you know, a super whatever film. hmm Because, yeah, because I don't know, like, even the witch powers, I mean, it just didn't, you know, it just didn't seem like something, you know, that would be in a Superman or Supergirl film. Now, I've got to ask, um... Maybe you know this. Maybe you don't. When did the thing start of um, uh, putting the yellow Superman symbol on the back of the capes?
0: Mm, I can't remember. That came into the comics at a certain point, but yeah. I don't remember if it started with the film, like first, and then the comics did it, or or what. Because
1: but... I remember always seeing like the little side characters, like Supergirl, Superboy, Superdog, but mm-hmm. like have it first, and but eventually Superman had it too, didn't he?
0: Yeah yeah this is this scene this whole sequence is so weird because now so Faye dunaway as selena has come down to the town from her little castle on top of the mountain that she's plopped down yeah. and she's basically got stormtroopers that lead her through in a cavalcade i was gonna ask like, where the, they the come whole, from i don't know where they came from and then also the whole town has like go home selena get out of here yeah. selena signs how do they already know about her like, how, yeah
1: how do they know this, who she is this
0: is like it. it it's. This seems like she's been in charge of the town for like months at this point, but it's been twenty-four hours, if that.
1: Yeah, the townspeople are actually like protest, like peaceful protesting the evil ruler, ruling of like from a witch of their small town. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like why would like wouldn't you be afraid to even go outside knowing she was there when she could just like you know destroy you with some magical powers and shit? Oh, here, here comes some uh, 1983 cardigan, right here. <laughs> it was, it almost seems wrong seeing uh, Supergirl's like legs and thighs so gooped up. Seems so gross. Old Peter O'Toole is going to come back in the picture here. We find out he's been thrown into the Phantom Zone as well. And this is kind of like the, um, this is kind of like the. I would say almost in a way, this is almost like an origin building scene here where like Supergirl has lost all hope and then she inspires him to rise.
0: I just think it's weird that there's a skeleton there because I thought the idea of the Phantom Zone was you're kind of in there forever. Yeah. Just like
1: time doesn't really make you pass away. It's just... Yeah. But then again, like we're, we're, we're trying to like understand inconsistencies in a movie made by people who weren't trying to follow anything whatsoever. mm. And I gotta say, like, you know, I saw, uh, you know, Peter O'Toole as his, altar, his silly-ass character at the beginning of the movie. But it's really not till this scene where he's, like, his character starts to really, starts to click, you know.
0: Well, he gets to be, he's getting, he's getting to be, like, a little goofier here and more fun. And that's where Peter O'Toole kind of excels. And how much, by the way, how much do you think he was trying to bang Helen Slater on set? That's,
1: that's hard to say. That's hard to say. He, he might have... He might have been more going after old Jimmy Olsen. You don't know <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia had some undertones there with the desert. Yeah, but Peter O'Toole
0: is quite the quite the uh, ladies' man in real life.
1: I'm glad to hear that, but just seeing how his his whole appearance was always so gaunt and like very um, wino like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it's you know. I guess I guess his fame would have got him some women though. Hart Bachner now has.
0: You should read a sorry. You should read a book called Hellraisers. Mm-hmm. It's a great book all about uh, Oliver Reed, Peter O'Toole, Richard Harris, and Richard Burton, oh, and Oliver just about great. how insane those guys were Talk, during the whole period.
1: You're talking about the four horsemen, jeez, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, sorry. I love all those guys. Peter O'Toole, just like you were saying, like even in like a fucked up movie like this, you know, he doesn't give up. You know, even in a fucked up movie like Phantoms. Uh, he actually gives a really credible and good performance
0: Yeah, he's always fun I think he's like some like, high spirits You know, yeah, like, oh, yeah. he's, he's, I don't know, Peter O'Toole's great it's, If you were born at a certain point I think it's it's hard to think of Peter O'Toole As the great actor that other generations might Because right. we really grew up with him in nothing but shit films Yeah, that's true But I mean, you know, that he was always good in them And he's always a fun screen presence Club Paradise, another one I like
1: Yeah, that's a good movie yeah I've never really seen his classic stuff except for Lawrence of Arabia, which
0: yeah, it's kind of what I feel like I feel like i I feel bad about that. I feel yeah. like I'm neglecting that we aspect of some more shit, yeah,
1: what was the movie he made in the early eighties, where like he made a robot or some shit?
0: I don't know about that
1: wasn't there a movie like made called Creator or something like that, maybe. I mean, I might be thinking of another older actor of that time.
0: There's one. With, there's one with Klaus Kinski that's like that, called like Android or something. Mm. I
1: think this was more like a, um like a what do you call it? Like a screwball comedy. Let me look it up. See what movie I'm thinking of.
0: But you're right. Like him and Helen Slater do have like actually kind of a nice. Like it's
1: really good. Yeah.
0: Yeah, their their chemistry here is nice. He really seems like kind of a, yeah, he seems like a protective uncle, which is what he is, you know. And Or is he supposed to be related to her? I'm not even sure. Is Because that would make him yeah. also Superman's uncle, wouldn't it? I mean.
1: Yeah, well, you know, their relationship in the beginning of this movie, I couldn't tell if he was supposed to be like just an elder teacher, mischievous elder teacher, like literally like a professor, you know, at their whatever. Let's see, uh, creator 1985. An eccentric scientist teaches a student in his own manner While he looks for a way to clone his deceased wife That's what it was about I thought it was some robot shit But yeah, it's, he's trying to bring his dead wife back to life hmm. Peter O'Toole, Vincent Spano, Merrill Hemoway, Virginia Madsen I'll watch it Yeah, sounds interesting I might have to give it a watch Especially knowing it was about cloning a dead wife And the whole time I thought it was about a fucking robot Shows, shows shows what I know, fans of the 1980s. Man, it really looks like he prepared. Like I'm not just doing a shtick here, but it, it really looks like he prepared for this Phantom Zone shit by just staying up for a week and drinking like nonstop.
0: Well, I got news for you. He did. <laughs> yeah. that's how he prepared for every role. <laughs>
1: yeah, but I mean, his his little arc, his little fall from grace in this movie, where he literally, basically, I mean, they're kind of long scenes, but literally, he only has like two scenes in this movie. But he Mm -hmm. he creates a character arc, i got to say, man. Give give the man some credit. And he even got them to uh, write in some uh, space booze here, apparently. That shit they keep squirting Mm -hmm. in their mouths.
0: Yeah, I'm sure on set that was not water for Peter O'Toole.
1: (laughs) No. I have to say, you know, as beautiful as she was the whole movie, uh, Helen Slater, Supergirl, you know, almost like the most beautiful Barbie in a Supergirl outfit... In this, uh, in this scene where she's all gooped up and shit and starting to talk serious and try to inspire Peter. She she comes off as, like, really badass in a feminine kind of way, you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. You yeah, have nothing else? Like, even if she, if, I, mean, I mean, I love the legend of Billie Jean, too, but yeah. she didn't get to play Supergirl again. But I really wish she had, had some kind of other, like, signature character yeah. that could have been, like, a franchise for her.
1: Yeah, this is. I mean, she she went on to you know have appearances and stuff. Like, wasn't it City Slickers and stuff? Yeah, she's
0: never been. I mean, it's not like she ever you know had that entire drop off out of the out of the world of you yeah. know acting or anything. But she just kind of became a supporting character and a very minor one at that, which is too bad.
1: And I think I read that she kind of just acts for fun now. I think she got involved <laughs> in other things in life, you know, and she kind of just acts for fun and stuff. But. Uh, yeah, she really should have been a you know a leading lady, I thought. She had the chops and the charisma. You know, and you know this too, Trevor, there's a lot of people that will talk about certain actors or whatever that are electrifying, <laughs> 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 very full charisma. But uh, for my money, I'll, I'll take Helen Slater as the most electrifying uh, person in uh, at least 80s films or early 80s films.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's why, like you said, like, God, I wish we could have had one scene with her and Christopher Reeve because he was so good in that role and she was so good in this role. I think it would have been kind of magical to see the two of them actually get to do a scene together.
1: And um, I got to ask this, when you were a kid, actually, I won't even say when when I was a kid, up until literally a couple years ago, because I'm fans of both of these actors, I was so stupid. I just assumed... From the Legend of Billie Jean, that Helen Slater and Christian Slater were related.
0: <laughs> uh, I never really thought that, but really, yeah, Cause it I, just I don't that, think it, oddly, it's one of those things. I don't for some reason it never even occurred to me, but
1: yeah, it's just because Christian Slater was so young and that was such a kind of like a psychic role. I just figured it, because, you know, weird shit like that would happen a lot, like, uh, at close range, they had both Sean Penn and Chris Penn playing. I think
0: brothers. I felt like Helen Slater seemed too innocent to be related to Christian Slater.
1: Yeah. He was, even though he was, like, 14 years older than that movie, he did have a little scumbag side of it. Oh, you
0: could tell he was going to be a Hellraiser. Yeah, with that bleached-ass hair.
1: It would have been funny if the legend of Billy Jean, had that little scumbag, the guy that owns the surf shop or whatever, if he would have been selling Supergirl posters and <laughs> shit. And this is kind of cool too. Like, uh, well, I don't know how cool it is, but another weird thing here is her Supergirl like outfit is like all ripped up and shit. But mm-hmm. at the end, when she triumphantly returns to Earth, like it's it's all brand new, it's clean, it's patched up.
0: Yeah, which is weird because, again, if they made this today, she would just totally come in with the ripped-up costume because it looks yeah. cooler aesthetically. You know, yeah, you see what she's been does. through. But
1: Now, this was a, uh, there's, like, basically, this is getting back to, you know, I won't say, like, bad special effects in terms of what they look like, but this is just, like, an, a weird concept. Like, it seems <laughs> like they could have come up with something stronger than a blue and red tornado that comes to the Phantom Zone to try to kill them.
0: I like it, though. I like the way it looks. It has that Yeah, kind I mean, of... it, it
1: looks cool. It's just as a concept. It's kind of like, you know, old Hart Bogner eating the popcorn. <laughs> I
0: love that. Dressed like a 70s pimp eating popcorn. Yeah, watching.
1: Now, let's let's say in an alternate universe, obviously the movie's not over, but we know Supergirl's going to come back and win. Faye Dunaway looks hot in those little glasses. But, uh, you know, these, these two, I'd say probably at this time, probably women in their mid-40s. Would they have literally at their witch's lair just turned Hart Bachner into like a sex robot for the two of them? Do you think?
0: Oh, I don't know if Faye done away sharing him with Brenda Vaccaro. Hopefully, she was being nice enough to put spells on some men for her for her roommate. Yeah,
1: somebody, but, but she didn't even throw Nigel to Brenda Vaccaro. Though she just yeah. totally, you know. And, and and like this part with these little glowing orbs that are like knocking them down the uh, mountain or whatever. Like, this special effect, and then the couple with the swirly tornado, I started really getting, like, a poltergeist vibe right here. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I don't know. This is weird.
0: This is what Sup- See, Supergirl 2 should have been the search resultar.
1: You know, that actually would have been kind of cool, in all honesty. I mean, obviously it didn't do the business to whatever, but I wonder, like, what a su- what this film, Supergirl... Would it really had to do um, at the box office to garner a sequel. You know what I
0: mean? I just, I mean, I think the more interesting question is, what did it need to do to be a bigger hit? You know, like, was it yeah. just that people weren't ready for a female superhero? I don't really remember what the marketing was like. Yeah. Was it just the idea that people knew Christopher Reeve wasn't in it, so nobody took it seriously? You know, how much would, he, would him being in it have helped the box office? I don't know, there's a lot of what ifs, you know, but what, did, what could have made Supergirl a, better, a, a bigger deal? But yeah. Obviously, obviously, quality has something to do with it. Yeah, you
1: know? oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think definitely there were some mistakes with the narrative of this film that kind of you know led to the bad reviews. Which nowadays I don't think bad reviews really hurt you that much, but a bad reviews would kill. A, you know, a bad reputation would kill. There's a Zaltar going out old Hans Gruber style there,
0: <laughs> <laughs> swirling away. So it kind of reminds me more of. Um, no, Van Helsing getting sucked oh. into the portal at Monster Squad. Oh
1: yeah, 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 yeah! You're right. That is what it is. But I mean, it's hard for us to know what the kind of the temperature of the room was at the time. But I, I'm guessing the banner used, couple with the fact that this was a spinoff of a franchise who the original franchise was spinning off of Superman. Mm -hmm. That was kind of damaged goods at the time after that Richard Pryor one.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I know I've seen a lot of blame placed on, oh, Helen Slater was a nobody, but I mean, Christopher Reeve was a nobody when Superman came out. And you had Peter O'Toole and Faye Dunaway. I mean...
1: And that was kind of the thinking at the time for when you're trying to make these, uh, you know, the Star Wars, Superman, like, if you're trying to make somebody into a character, like, you wanted an unknown at the time.
0: Yeah. I don't know if you saw on, like, Wikipedia, the all kinds later on said, well, we should have... Helen Slater was wrong. We should have gone with Brooke Shields. Yeah, I I saw
1: that. This would have been so fucking horrible with Brooke Shields. I'm sorry. Yeah. Because, in all honesty, this is actually a. I hate to say it because I I think we're probably going to have some fans of this film hunt down this commentary, and they'll probably think we're dicks for saying this. But this is a bad film, propped up by a couple really good performances. I think.
0: Oh, that's what it is. I mean, the reason I the reason I like this film, the reason I own it, is because of Helen Slater. I mean, it's. There's a couple other elements I like. Like I said, it's a fun, cheesy film to watch. I mean, it's a little more tedious than even some of those, you know. Like because usually I like my bad movies to be about 90 minutes, but I mean, in the right mindset, you can get into some, the cornballness of some of the aspects. Like the the now, like I said, it was scary as a kid, but the whole thing with the bumper cars is kind of goofy and fun, you know. And some of the, this this whole climax is just kind of so dumb, it's fun. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's, at the end of the day, this movie is all about Helen Slater as Supergirl.
1: Yeah, I really love how, you know, those people, her friends were being held captive and those balls suspended from the <laughs> ceiling. When those balls dropped to the ground, that was some great lingering shots of some obvious dummies <laughs> in those <laughs> balls. Which, like, you know, people like, oh, like, whatever, you know, this is a failure. Well, if this movie is such a failure, why did... Joel Schumacher ripped that off for the end of uh, Batman Forever, a very high-grossing DC Comics film just ten years later. Because if you remember, that climax of that film was Nicole Kidman in a ball just like that with the Riddler holding court in his lair like that. Exactly the same.
0: Here we do get a climax, though, where and I think this is what you told me earlier, we get a climax where Supergirl doesn't even really get to be very Supergirl-ish in the climax. We don't see her utilize a lot of her powers... I don't know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, there's a lot going on, effects-wise, but it's, well, even Satan's about to attack, really, Look at
1: that. Yeah, it's, and I think that's kind of the, uh, I mean, you could have, you could have built a, um, a better climax off of uh, her fighting all the stormtroopers, really, mm-hmm. that all of a sudden disappeared, but, like, yeah, it really is, and that was kind of the problems with the you know, Christopher Reeve oh Brent of getting pulled on the wire trying to cover her tits up before they pop yeah. out. But,
0: that was a little Sam Raimi moment there. For yeah, some.
1: it really was. But um but yeah, it was like that's kind of the problem with the Christopher Reeve ones, like you can't really have a fight between Christopher Reeve and fucking Lex Luthor Yeah. It was like the kind of the same thing here. Like you could, but,
0: but the thing is here you could've have Because you could have had Faye Dunaway use some kind of spell to make herself powerful. Yeah.
1: That is true. But it's just, uh, yeah. Or at the very least, she could have conjured... And she kind of does, you know, the kaiju comes back here, but she could have conjured, like, a lot more things to come to life and, mm-hmm. you know, fight Supergirl. It's very weird. But I think I think now, you know, with these type of big popcorn films that, like, you would make now, I think the directors are much more aware about the pace and the tension and the build of the finale Whereas I feel like back then, because people were jerking off so hard on special effects, in a way, weird way, almost you know, like now people jerk off on you can just do anything with CGI. I think they just thought back then like a good finale was just a special effects laden finale, not necessarily yeah. one that was paced well, exciting, whatever. Just keep throwing all these effects out. <laughs> all right, since Bird ain't here, I'm going to ask you, Trev. Let's rate this kaiju. Where are you? No,
0: I like them. I think it's. I think it's cool. Again, I like that it's. You know, they're practical and yeah. just this kind of big creature. It's. You know, they keep it in shadow and mist enough that you don't get to see like the obvious flaws of it. Yeah, I don't really know what's public. happening with Supergirl here. She's getting stretched into two dimensions. Yeah, I don't know. It's...
1: Yeah, she's getting kind of getting flattened back almost Phantom Zone style.
0: hmm But I mean, I was like, I'm watching this climax with no sound on, and just like from a, this a pure aesthetic of visuals and how. Mm-hmm cornball but fun it is it seems to me like this is a movie that should have the same kind of cult following today it's something like masters of the universe has or something
1: right right the problem
0: is just that it's got too much plotting stuff in the middle like that 90 it's, minute cut yeah. if it was still around would probably have that kind of following i think
1: oh i agree with you 100 percent. i think this is just you like even though it has the elements of that type of movie you can't throw this on for two hours or five minutes and drink beers with your buddies you know what i mean The kaiju let her go. Some good reverse acting of her flipping down to the floor there. Yeah, Hart Buckner, apparently the power of the tennis ball or whatever, was in this weird, like, kind of goat statue. Hart Buckner covered it up, and then all of a sudden, uh, Faye Dunaway had no more powers. Now, I don't understand. Why did Supergirl become so miniature there? When she yeah,
0: makes... that was. I don't know if that was just a mistake in terms of the effect.
1: Right, right. Like it looked like she really, literally shrank down. People are not falling home uh, with the DVD. It looked like she literally shrank down to like mighty mouse size and just swirled around uh, Faye Dunaway and then made a tornado, so Faye Dunaway got um, thrown into the same whatever dimension as the uh, uh, kaiju there. Brenda Vaccaro as well, which I, I don't think that's really that warranted. She didn't do that much bad shit. She she's get...
0: like this, She's the she's the assistant in Jurassic World of this movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that yeah. you know what? That's actually a great analogy.
0: I do like like uh, Nigel is just kind of turned into a good guy at this point.
1: Yeah, like I, which I don't really, see. If you're gonna throw of Vaccaro in there. You got to throw Nigel in there too because he was plotting all the evil shit. He just mm-hmm. got turned on by uh, Faye Dunaway. You know, doesn't really make him good. He never really did anything. You know, to stop this later on. Hans baby, I got this tennis ball for you. <laughs> it's, it's it's weird how Supergirl looks at the uh holocron or hologrin or whatever it's called like with such <laughs> such love once she recovers it, you know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. More love than she has for Bachner.
1: Yeah. And this is what I mean about this not really being an origin, like whatever is, you know, she gets it back. And then she's like I got to go return this where it belongs. Like it's not really like okay, I got to put this somewhere safe and stay here on earth. Like she can go back to her home space station thing, right?
0: Yeah, she just kind of pieces out like see ya. I'll, yeah.
1: I'll... I don't like it. That's look. the one thing is
0: it doesn't the film doesn't even feel like it's setting up a sequel. Right. It's just kind of like oh, I'll, I'll, I'm I'm out of here now.
1: Yeah, even Hart Bachner's like, oh, okay, go, yep, see ya.
0: That is, I guess that is kind of what's lacking from this as a Superman movie. You know, yeah, I know it's Supergirl, but I mean, the idea the idea of Supergirl and what they're doing really well on the TV show right now is the idea of, you know, a, a relative of Superman who decides to carry his mantle as well and try to live up to that image and also be a hero on Earth. Hmm. But the thing is, like, that's not really the case in this film. She doesn't come to Earth to be a hero. She came here just to get that thing back for her city and take it back home. Right. And it's never really presented like she has any interest in, in being a protector of us Or you know being a superhero Because here she's just like I'm done now I'll leave you know?
1: Well not only that but it's like um, Obviously that you know that that Power source or that that MacGuffin was fell into the wrong hands of Faye Dunaway but it also feels more like She really just wanted to recover it To m- make up for her own Personal fuck up of letting it go In the first place you know what I mean
0: yeah. it's kind of, well, they all, well, they did say, though, too, that, like, Argos do would die after a couple of days without it.
1: Oh, okay. Okay, I missed that part.
0: Cause it is their main, no, I, why does she have to go back into the water?
1: And that's where she came out. Of, like, she's almost like a King Neptune person or Atlantis person.
0: <laughs> so, inner space is in the ocean?
1: I'm assuming that it, inner space is somewhere in the, uh, like, inner core of the Earth or somewhere. But, it, but we're looking at it right now. It almost looks like uh, the space station is like in the water. That was weird. Huh. Very strange. And here we get some more non-3D, 3D credits. <laughs> Trying to super this thing up. Again, I know it sounds like we're extremely harsh on this movie, but... There's there's a lot. There really is a lot to like in this movie, but holy shit, you got to wade through a lot of garbage to get through it, you know?
0: Yeah, it's just a movie that it's a movie that makes mistakes so often. Like it's it's got all these elements that could have made a really fun, well more way more respected movie, but it just keeps stumbling over and over and over again.
1: I think they just the problem with this movie was they just never had a focused narrative. Like it just was like plotting and plotting until like the last twenty minutes. I would say like when she gets thrown in the Phantom Zone. You know, like, and then the comeback to fight Fade Dunaway. Then the film kind of, you know, wakes up and gets going to where it needs to get going, even if it's in a somewhat clumsy way. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, there was just too much. Uh, I don't know.
0: One thing I will say for it is that for the you know for as much as I made fun of earlier about how it just turns into two women fighting over a boy, at the end she just kind of says like, you know what, I don't need you. I'm,
1: yeah, I'm here. Uh, it was like. I don't know. It was it was weird how that how that guy really didn't fucking matter at all in the end, you know what I mean? Mhm. And not only not only that, okay? Like when he when the spell was like broken, like he really didn't even like her anymore either.
0: Honestly. Yeah, I know. That's the thing is there's no real romance in this. Like any yeah. element of romance is just based on the fact that he had a spell on him that made him fall right. in love with her.
1: Like like you could like if you remade this film, you could almost um like have it be like a gay character put it on the spell to like women and then as soon as it's over with he just you know he's back to having no interest you know that probably would be like the hip and edgy like 2015 version of the story <laughs> i bet i bet probably have to budget went to these credits cuz damn standby carpenters getting 3d credit treatment
0: I do like the, like, I like how the credits kind of, as they're coming towards you, you can't read the ones behind the other ones, so they get a little right. closer.
1: Yeah. I actually wouldn't mind putting this DVD on my 3D TV and converting this into 3D and seeing how much of a seizure it gives me.
0: Wait, can you do that? Can you convert a 2D movie into 3D?
1: Yeah. There's actually, um, most 3D movie. my 3D movie, do- uh, sorry, 3D, my 3D TV does it. But some uh, Blu-ray players do it as well. Of course, you have to have a 3D TV. But uh, yeah.
0: Just... How does that? How how well does it actually work? You know, like what?
1: You know what? Like if you read like TV reviews, they all say it sucks. But it's like really that thing where like it actually works, shockingly enough. But it's really hit and miss. If you throw in like a new movie with modern kinetic in- editing and shit, it, it really just kind of looks like strange and like whatever. Yeah. But if you throw in like. I've found even just with regular DVDs, um, if you throw in something from the eighties or seventies with like static shots, but with, you know, depth in the background, it will look 3d. Like, uh, one of my favorite movies to kind of watch like that is, um, is, uh, actually blood simple, believe it or not, that looks really good converted into 3d.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, like they say, for 3D to work, shots have to last at least four seconds, I think. And that's why it always works with
1: older movies, you know? Yeah.
0: And that's why... um I don't know, not that anyone cares, but no. that's why the action scenes got much better in Transformers 3, because it right. kind of, the 3D forced Michael Bay to not edit the way he usually does. Yeah, I heard and, he and, and, about
1: having to do that too. And
0: it, yeah, yeah, but that's crazy, because it's like, it made his sequences better. Like, I'll stand by the final half hour of Transformers 3, the, the Battle of Chicago. Yeah, even if it's like watch it 2D, it's better. It's an amazing action sequence, however you feel about the plot of the movie, you know, and it's, yeah, but he had to hold on to his visuals longer than he normally does, whereas Transformers 2, that final battle is just a nightmare where you can't tell what the hell is going on.
1: Yeah, it's, it's funny that the product placement never stopped at the end there. Um, the uh, credits, they had the, the cashier, parentheses for Popeye's, the waitress for Popeye's, like, there wasn't a waitress, they're just trying to get extra credits in there for Popeye's. Filmed in vision. I have to say though, the you know these old school uh, green screen effects, whatever, um, they, they hold up. They're interesting. Like, even if they're not a hundred percent convincing. I mean, there was a handful of shots in here that look super phony. Don't get me wrong, but like as general, I think they look more interesting than the stuff that's being done now.
0: Mm.
1: Dolby Stereo in selected theaters. Ooh.
0: So if you had to predict, not that I'm sure you even have a dog in this fight, but do you think we see Supergirl get another movie? Or, I mean, does the fact that there's a show now put the kibosh on that? It's really weird, right, because they're doing, like, the Flash movie. That's yeah, but it's completely
1: not... separate than the show, right?
0: Right, but, it's, but still the same character but a different actor playing them.
1: <laughs> which, 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 when it comes time to make the uh, Flash a movie, I want to see if they really stand by behind that supposed Ezra Miller casting which I don't get at all for that role. Yeah. But um, I think there's a chance because a Supergirl movie because, you know, they're saying the movie universes are separate than the TV universes and a lot of people have huge problems with that and I understand why. But I was going to ask you during the, you know, the mo- actually the credits are still going on of this damn movie so we can still talk about it. But um, wasn't there a supposed nod to Supergirl in the uh, Man of Steel movie because didn't he find that fake Fortress of Solitude that had a uh, life pod that was empty. I thought that was supposed to be Supergirl's pod that she got. It out. was,
0: yeah. And that's actually, it's clarified more. And they did like a comic book tie-in that actually shows that that was Supergirl that came out and she's been on Earth this whole time, which is actually a, a, a bizarre reversal of the, the, the typical Supergirl story now, which is that she was originally sent to Earth to take care of him. Because, you know, he was sent as an right. infant and she was sent as a teen, but her pod got kind of stuck in space and so Yeah, it she was like a Rip Van Winkle type situation. Yeah, so she got to Earth way too late and he was already growing up and become Superman, and so that's why she's kinda of, in the comics now she's kinda of got a chip on her shoulder, which I like. It's like the idea of she's this teenage girl who came here thinking she was gonna be the protector, and now her cousin's like, I don't even not only do I not need you, I'm the most important you know, superhero on Earth. And then she's trying to like live up to that, but kind of bitter about it. Um so yeah, the idea that she's actually in the in this Zack Snyder universe, that she's been around forever, I don't know. I don't even know how they would approach that. But
1: Well, to be fair, there's like a million characters coming out in Dawn of Justice. Yeah. I so I mean maybe there will be room for her in the actual Justice League movie later on. Because like if Dawn of Justice works just, you know, as a commercial success, I think they're gonna like take the avengers approach and be like more characters the better so i think that's probably how she get shoehorned and i don't know why but dc really wants to like introduce all these characters in a big team-up movie and then do spinoffs or i just feel like the marvel way of doing the individual movies then the big spin-off team-up is better but we'll see mm-hmm. it seems like everything marvel does dc does the opposite
0: but I would recommend to people if you really want a good version of Supergirl, you know, check out the T V show. Or there was a couple animated Superman films, those straight to D V D ones. Um Batman, Superman Apocalypse and Superman Unbound. Or maybe uh yeah, I think that's what it's called. But those are both those are both really good Supergirl stories. And then if you want to see a really good Helen Slater movie, right. watch Supergirl. Yeah.
1: Which I gotta say, it's kind of a shame that the animation is so bad on those directed DVD movies because the
0: stories are good. Oh, I think some. I don't. I I think some of them are better than others in terms of the animation. I don't know how many of you have seen. They started off really shaky. Yeah, and they, they actually got, they got pretty good for a while, and now I feel like they're kind of going back to being crappy because I feel like they've gotten lazy. Yeah, like there's some. Uh, I don't know if you saw the Wonder Woman one.
1: No, I, I've seen it? some of the Superman ones that, that believe it or not, like they actually play them on like just the movie channel sometimes. Yeah, and like the ones I've seen, like they literally look like Flash animation. To be honest with you,
0: yeah, I don't know. I've, I've seen better ones. The one, if basically any of the ones that are directed by Lauren Montgomery, I would I would recommend in terms of just the animation alone. She's a great animation director, and uh, she directed Wonder Woman. I, th- I believe she directed Green Lantern: First Flight, which was a way better Green Lantern origin movie than the Ryan Reynolds movie. Um, so yeah, I like the ones that she directs.
1: I'll have to check them out. I know sometimes they have a bunch of them on Netflix, but mm-hmm. I mean, there's other way I can just always rent the DVDs as well, but yeah, I I've actually, you know, kind of the build, the star Wars, or whatever I've been, I've re you know gone back. Cause there were some seasons I missed, but I'm watching the clone Wars again. I'm starting to get back into, uh, you know, these, uh, these, uh, kind of, I don't know what you call them. Shorter serialized cartoons, mm-hmm. you know, like like I kind of rather just watch a um, movie, you know, or not movie, but either a TV show or yeah, like a movie, like the direct to video ones because they're all short; they're like eighty minutes.
0: Yeah, sometimes that's like kind of to their detriment because they're all they're actually all seventy minutes, and yeah. sometimes the story feels like it needs longer than that. But
1: but, but they just wanted to make it more bite sized for kids, I guess.
0: It's weird; I've never understood why they why they like they enforce that seventy minute limit on them. Like, I know it's part of it's to have, so it can be ninety minutes when they show it on Cartoon Network or whatever. But I mean, it's a DVD release. You can do whatever the hell you want, yeah, and cut, and cut it down for TV.
1: Unless it's just literally just an animation budget type of cheapness move. But uh, yeah, I'm starting to get into those more than um, you know. I have to be honest because, like, I really got out of animated films for a long time with the um, the you know the CGI Pixar type releases because I felt like you know everything. You know, like, I basically just got tired of cartoons having super serious, super adult, like, whatever. So, like, I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of getting a little bit more back into cartoons. But, you know, the superhero shit really kind of helps, you know. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, I will say as we're wrapping up that if we're going to, if this is 80s movie Graveyard and we're going to talk about Supergirl, we should talk about kind of the, the biggest lasting legacy of Supergirl is the fact that because it bombed, that's actually what led to the Salkinds finally just selling Superman to Golan Globus.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I would be happy to, uh, really cover. Well, yeah, I would be happy to cover that Canon Superman film. Oh, as well. I would, if you,
0: if you decide to, I will totally join in. Cause that is another fascinating movie to talk about.
1: You, you heard it here from folks. I'm guaranteeing at some point in 2016, Superman for The quest for peace, a movie that I've actually enjoyed over the years but I have not seen it in a long time. So I'm curious what, what I'll think of it now. Uh, I, I, you know, through the research of this, why, you know, uh, Christopher turned down the cameo and all this was, I heard, I heard the, the reason he only reason he came back to, uh, a quest for peace was, uh, they let him have a hand in the storyline and let it be about environmental issues, which he cared about with the nuclear weapons and shit.
0: So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. So in the interest of, uh, you know time and brevity here i hope you enjoyed uh, watching and listening to this film with us if you're a hardcore fan of this movie cuz a lot of our downloads come from people who are just fans of one particular movie they get that commentary and uh if you're a hardcore fan of super i apologize if you love it if it's your favorite movie of your youth i love it but we actually like it a lot too we yeah i like it you just it just we we cannot watch it and not marvel at the insane
0: well if nothing else this is like it's a, <laughs> it's a debate you like our friends do see us have on online a lot, mm-hmm. but if nothing else, this is proof that you can like a movie and acknowledge how kind of, you know, right. flawed it is too. Right. You know, this is a film full of flaws, but there's enough in it that I still enjoy it.
1: And, and honestly, like it's full of flaws. There's entire sections of this movie that are really bad, but I wouldn't even call, go as far to call it a guilty pleasure. Cause the stuff we, you know, we like, we're kind of on the same page with what we like with this film. Mm-hmm. I think that it's you know Helen Slater and I, I just I think it's worth defending like whereas a guilty pleasure you just know that every second of it is shit but you like it anyway you know right I, think, I mean
0: I feel I feel the same way about Superman three like I genuinely enjoy that film and I don't feel like I'm defending it as like oh no it's so bad it's good it's like no there's what I like about it actually does work for me
1: right and I guess that's what in all honesty you know that's a big reason why uh, I started this podcast because you know. There's a lot of stuff that you know we feel like from our youth, like our classic status, even though they're really not. And that's what this this whole show is about: is bringing that shit back and giving it one last one last ride, as Vin Diesel would say. <laughs> 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 oh man,
0: so which one of which one of us is like the CGI Paul Walker that yeah. pulls up and Unless, drives off? <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey Trevor, how about we give Supergirl <laughs> one last ride for family's sake? kal Al Jor-El, and now kara L. <laughs> That's family. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, signing off from 1980s Movie Graveyard. Trevor, thank you for joining me. I look yeah, forward no problem, to man. your next appearance as always. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, man. All right, everybody.
0: Keep it 80s out there.